and welcome to another amazing episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier, and for the first time in several weeks, I've got both Billy Holiday. Hello there. And Jeremy Gregory. Hey, guys. And so, since all three of us are back, we're going to jump on the first of what is at least three patron requests. So, as a reminder, we do have a Patreon, and if you come in at the Super Retrovaniacs DX Deluxe 2 Turbo, whatever I've named it, uh, level, you get to force us to cover one of your games after so many months. And uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about Castlevania Aria of Sorrow for the Game Boy Advance, which was picked by one of our patrons, Logan H., who we'll be talking to shortly. But... As a reminder, if you're one of the patrons that's supposed to pick a game, we have two people who have been paying and, and are well over the threshold to pick a game that have not responded. So if you are either Black Cat Greyhound or John F., because I don't want to give out your real name, but I'm pretty sure Black Cat Greyhound is not your real name, uh, those two people have been have been full patrons and are, are, are owed a game. I want to make sure you both know we have not forgotten. Just please contact me. I did send you both messages through the Patreon. And it should go right to your email. Uh, with a, with a request for if you have a game or not, but otherwise, guys, I think we should skip what you've been playing because, mm-hmm. frankly, we've all had a lot going on. It was not about video games, not really worth talking about. Uh, my basement flooded. That's all I want to say about it. So let's just jump right into this episode's game, Castlevania: Aria of Sorrow. <laughs> As we mentioned at the start of the show, this is a patron request. So I've got Logan here from our Patreon. He is also on our Discord, which again, the Discord is mentioned in the description of this podcast. Uh, on Discord, he is Hihachi Kazama. But Logan, welcome to the show. Hello, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good because I spent the last week or so playing the game you requested, Castlevania Aria of Sorrow for the Game Boy Advance. Now, is there a reason you picked this game specifically? So yeah, the reason why I picked this game is because honestly... It- I think it's the pinnacle of advanced games for Game Boy Advance. And I know you guys haven't really covered much on the Game Boy Advance yet, so I thought it was a good opportunity for you guys to do so. Another thing is uh, it's a Castlevania game, so I always thought that that would be a good choice for you guys to play. I figured you'd all enjoy it. And I'm hoping that you did enjoy it. Well, we definitely like Castlevania games in general. We've covered Symphony of the Night, which is a game I think is very similar to this. But we've also covered a lot of the classic Castlevanias, all the 16-bit Castlevanias. So at least we know that this is most likely going to be in our wheelhouse. Is there something about this game specifically, and even in the Castlevania series, that, that really like drew you to it? Um, some notable things about the game is uh, it's one of the last uh, Castlevania games that Ayami Kojima did the art for, which I really like that style of... Uh, of art for a game it's um pretty much the same person that drew all the pictures for um symphony of the night so it's got like that classic gothic look to it which i thought was really cool secondly uh machira yamane did the soundtrack to it which is also the same person that did the soundtrack to uh symphony of the night which i thought was notable. i really like the soundtrack to that game um it's a little grindy i find because if you want the good ending you have to collect all, every single soul in the game. But at that point in my life, I was a teenager and I had nothing better to do. So I kind of like compare it like to like catching all the Pokemon in a Pokemon game or something like that. And I thought it was cool that literally every single enemy in the game offers you a soul, including bosses. So at one point, I think you get a soul that allows you to up your chance of getting a soul if you kill people. So then you're just, go after you're done the game, you're just running through the entire castle and you're trying to collect all the souls to try to beat the boss and get the good ending. And I, I thought that was pretty cool. 
Yeah, having the souls be something that you can get from enemies you kill, and having everyone in the game offer that is, is pretty cool. It does have a kind of a Pokemon-style feel to it. We're definitely going to touch on this in the episode. There are, you know, several endings to this game. You can get one that is clearly not the right ending, but still has kind of a positive end. Uh, there's a clearly bad ending. Uh, and then there's the, the best ending. And then actually what you're talking about is kind of some extra dialogue added to the best ending. But yes, there are uh, several endings to this game, which I always like about my Castlevanias. Which actually, were you able to figure out when you had this game when it was new, you know, how to actually get to the good ending? Like the... You had to have specific souls equipped before you go to the last fight, or what you think is the last fight. I could not figure out in-game all the clues required to figure that out. Were you able to do that on your own, or did you have to look it up? Oh, when I was a kid, I was very much so a completionist. So I would get a game, and like I wouldn't get another game for like two months, as as we mo- like mostly it was for all of us. So I had that game, and I just I ran through it, and I was like, I'm going to complete all the souls. And then I completed all the souls. And I think after you do that, something is mentioned in the game that you should go and fight the last boss. And I did that. And I'm pretty sure you get um, a special ending for that. I think what they did, what they tried to do was they added a mixture of completing the castle. So you got to get 100, uh, I think it's 101% on this one, on the castle, as well as get all the souls. Because like if you don't have 100% of the castle, there's no way you've checked every room and gotten every item. So it's a little mixture of that. So I thought it was like, it's a pretty beefy game for the Advance. I think it pushes it to its limits for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a very impressive for the, the Game Boy Advance. You know, we had just covered Metroid Fusion. That's another game that's you know a really, really good Game Boy Advance game. Kind of really shows what the system's capable of. Uh, but I think Castlevania R of Sorrow, specifically compared to the two previous uh, Game Boy Advance games, Circle of the Moon and Harmony of Distance, really shows off what Konami learned about what you can do with the Game Boy, but also the capabilities of the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, exactly. And, like, that was another thing that was cool, too. Like, after after you've, you've done the game and if you want to collect all the souls, then, like, you typically tend to remember rooms by which enemy is in it. Yes. You're going to get to know that room because you're going to have to leave the room, come back in, kill that enemy. If you don't get the soul, you have to leave the room, come back in, kill him again, you know what I mean, until you get the soul. So... You get to know rooms by enemies for sure. You're like, this is the room with the with the ghost. This is the room with the Boar Guardian. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There's that. And then um, another thing is, uh, yeah, I just wanted to touch on a couple souls that I thought were really cool in the game. Um, one of the ones that was the best for me, if you get max level and you get that Black Panther soul, I think it's awesome. It's kind of like a dash with, like, uh, you get electrical, like, bolts around you. It makes traveling the castle so much faster. And when you're, like, at a full level, you're pretty much just flying through enemies and killing them as you go right another one i wanted to touch on was the devil soul was pretty cool you just turn into a devil like with a sword tail and you just it automatically boosts you forward and you just blaze through enemies another one that i thought was really good was the headhunter it just gives you the best stat boost in the game on all your stats other than luck yeah that's a soul that as you're killing enemies in the game with it equipped it gets stronger and stronger and stronger yeah, it is. Yes. And yeah, that's a great eventually one. at the end of the game, if you equip it early and at the end of the game, you're just a, you're a powerhouse. But uh, it doesn't give you luck stats. So, like, it keeps your luck at base. So you're going to have to switch to a luck-based soul in order to get more souls. Because <laughs> that's what that's the stat that adds into it, right? So Yes, it's both the new souls and weapon drops. So you want to have a high luck when you're trying to get stuff and then switch back exactly. when you're trying to fight bosses or anything else. Exactly. So whether you're doing exploration or if you're, if you're, you know, you want to take out bosses quick and all that, then you're using the headhunter. And then uh, the last one I wanted to mention was the War Guardian. It's uh, the one that you use as a shield. And it it uh, pretty much eliminates projectiles from attacking you. 
really useful against the death fight with all those sickles. And uh, yeah, no. Overall, I think it's a great game. Um, I haven't played it in about ten years, but uh, after I listen to the podcast, I'll probably end up playing it again. Well, we're very glad you picked it because it was uh, it was a lot of fun, especially for one that two out of three of us hadn't played before. But you know, we've we've covered plenty of Castlevanias. We love the series, so it's good to kind of come back and play some that we might have skipped. Absolutely, I think I think I might like it a little bit more than Symphony of the Night, just because I have good memories with it. When I first got it, I got it on a cart that included uh, Harmony of Dissonance and uh, Aria Sorrow. And Aria Sora was the one I picked first because it had really cool cover art. Because, like I said, it, it had uh, Ayami Kojima art on it. So it kind of, like, brought my attention in. And um, I thought it was really cool that you, uh, you you weren't a Belmont. And, yeah, I really like Soma Cruz. I like his design and stuff. He's a little flashy, but I don't mind that. And, uh, yeah, overall, it was a good game. You got Alucard in there. And then when you beat the game, you get uh, Julius mode. So you, you at least get, like, to play as a Belmont with a whip. For anybody that like kind of had a nitpick about it, you know what I mean? Yeah, just like in Symphony of the Night, if you beat it, you could play as Richter because uh, you know you kind of want that standard whip Castlevania feel. So it's nice that it's included here too as a bonus uh, once you fully complete the game. Uh, but before the rest of us get together and talk about what we think, is there anything else you wanted to say about the game or just in general? Uh, not really. I just wanted to let you guys know to keep up the good work, and I love being a part of this community. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you guys really enjoyed the game. And I just want to give a shout out to. To Billy and Jeremy, Jeremy uh, Gregory, and uh, yeah, keep it real, guys. All right, thank you so much. Cheers, man. listen to our podcast knows we like castlevania games we've covered a handful of them we've covered the game i'd say this this is the closest to in in the series symphony of the night uh, but we've also covered you know everything from the 16-bit castlevanias I, I played castlevania 64 on our twitch channel i mean we we love Castlevanias, so it's not going to come as a shock to anybody that this is uh this is a game i'm sure that we've all played before well actually it may i, I guess you're going to have to consider yourself shocked i did not play this one before um i kind of skipped over a lot of the the game boy advance uh, including you know some of the some of the bigger offerings by the time i picked one up um you know the, it was it was time for the the sp um you know so i i just kind of got a few advanced games here and there and you know never really got into this one never never really looked into it and yeah i i, I am a big Castlevania guy, and I guess I was in a, in, a, in a little bit of doubt as to, you know, as to what the old GBA could could pull off in terms of a, a solid Castlevania game. So I just, I just never got around to this one. I was a big Game Boy Advance fa fan, uh, and, and I've never been the biggest portable console fan ever. Like, mm -hmm. I, the Game Boy's cool, but I just, you know, I never really played it a lot, and even these days when I have something like the Switch, I just play it on the TV it's it's just never been very comfortable for some reason for me to to play a handheld console but for some reason the game boy advance was the one that i really stuck with because it was literally like having a super nes in your hands and especially when i i got to play that first uh castlevania on it i think it was circle of the moon that one was uh that it was just awesome i mean it was like playing uh sort of a downgraded symphony symphony of the night on it 
and I was totally hooked. I was like, wow, I can't believe you can play something like this on a portable system. And it just kept getting better and better, and every time a new Castlevania came out, I was right there waiting for it. And Aria of Sorrow is probably, I think, my favorite of the Game Boy Advance Castlevania games. Well, Billy, you've, you've managed to take the wind out of my sails, because I was going to say I have never played this before. I figured you guys both had. Hey! Uh, it's, it's, no, no. I had the, the game that Jeremy just talked about, Circle of the Moon, the first Game Boy Advanced mm -hmm. uh, Castlevania, and I liked it a lot. But then 2002, 2003 is right about the time I decided that I was only going to play MMOs. And so I, I stopped playing most <laughs> games. I fell out, I, like, that, that's one of the reasons I'm enjoying playing through uh, a lot of the, the N64 and even PS2 games I've got, because I really just kind of skipped a good five years of gaming where I only played like really strong titles. And then other than that was just MMOs. So this was in the time frame where I, you know, I played circle of the moon. I didn't play the second game, harmony of distance and Aria of sorrow. I had never played either, but I will tell you that I did play the first DS Castlevania, which is actually a sequel to the game we're going to talk about today. And I had no idea. I had, <laughs> I had no idea it was a sequel to another game. <laughs> I know the story they talked about it, but all Castlevanias kind of, you know, seem to follow each other and whatever. I just figured it was, I just missed the story part somewhere. But no, uh, apparently I played the sequel to a game I had never played. Uh, but I'm very glad that uh, Logan picked this for us now because uh, much like Circle of the Moon and, and Symphony of the Night that we talked about for PlayStation, this is another one of the um, EGA-created Castlevania. So starting with, with Symphony of the Night, uh, more or less Castlevania became... Uh, the directed by one person, Kogi Igarashi, who goes by Iga, or I-G-A, I don't know if that's how you pronounce Iga, but uh, at the end of every game, it has his credits for most of the Castlevanias in between Symphony of the Night up to um, Harmony of Despair, which came out in like the early 2010s, and then starting with Lords of Shadow for the PlayStation 3 and 360, they, they moved away from him and... Uh, that was one that was done by Kojima Productions, and I don't know even what the current Castlevania status is. I don't think Konami makes games anymore. I'm sure it's a slot machine or a <laughs> pachinko machine somewhere. But, oh, yeah. uh, but, but so these are all games that feel very much like you could tell that Symphony of the Night was kind of the basis of how they were going to move Castlevania forward at this point. And, and this definitely has that feel to it. It's a giant map that you unlock as you earn new abilities. It's, it's an open world kind of setup like a Metroid, uh, which is why everyone says Metroidvania. But, but this is definitely, um, I, I thought Circle of the Moon was a little, little small, where I think this game has a fairly good size map, and I like that it tries to do a lot, even the kind of pushing the story of Castlevania, where it really hadn't been before. Yeah, uh, one thing that I, I will give it a big, uh, big hats off for, and, and I guess it's because I wasn't, awfully familiar you know with the game boy advance i think of all the um nintendo handhelds i could really tell you the least about it uh i i just wasn't quite sure what it was capable of of pulling off you know i played a few games on there and i had a, I had a little bit of an idea um but as far as putting ah you know like a, a full-fledged you know castlevania title with a nice big uh, you know, the map to traverse. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. But I have to say, and I will go ahead, and it's not necessarily showing my hand towards the game, but just in this department, uh, this has got to be one of the more uh, enjoyable and, and I think kind of smoother uh, maps to traverse in a Castlevania game. You, you could kind of see they were just, get, you know, getting a feel for the Game Boy Advance as far as mm -hmm. like what they could do. Circle of the Moon, like I said, was just kind of... It, it, was, it wasn't a downgraded version of Symphony of the Night. It was just more of a basic version. Like you said, the, mm. the, the castle's smaller. 
Uh, it just has a you know a, a more basic feel to it, I guess, than what you got in Symphony. Uh, then uh, Harmony came along, Harmony of Dissonance, and they were getting their footing. You could kind of see they were like, "All right, let's take this a step further now. Let's push this just a little bit, you know, closer to what we we've, we've mm-hmm. been able to do before." But you could just see like just things weren't weren't quite there. Like the animation wasn't there. Uh, everything still had a very kind of you know uh, framey look to it. Just it wasn't as smooth as symphony and then aria hit hit, and then that's when they were like this is okay we know what we can do with this system Mm. now we've got the animation is is amazing they've got tons and tons of different enemies they've got all of these cool new ideas that they put in here that was never in a castlevania before like the whole soul system uh there's just a lot here that they decided to play around with and while it still stays stays safe to what the the prior blueprints uh, of those Castlevanias were, it it really feels like they decided to really show their strength in this one and and mm-hmm. really push forward with with some of the ideas that uh, they were able to do in this one and and maybe weren't able to do in the, in the previous Game Boy Advance game. Yeah, I, I thought Circle of the Moon was was fine. It wasn't bad by any means. It didn't feel like the Game Boy, you know, original Game Boy Castlevania, which was like super slow. But I did still think that compared to Symphony of the Night, and obviously this game came out later, but playing this game now, the control on Circle of the Moon is a little stiff, I think. It's not bad, but it's a little stiff, where I think this game controls very, very well. I mean, you can definitely tell they def- they, they've gotten a good grip on what makes, you know, how, how you can make a good ge- uh, Castlevania on the Game Boy Advance, I think, like you just said. The only thing I really want to mention uh, with these early Game Boy Advance games, I'm pretty sure that anybody that's had a, a Game Boy Advance when it first came out would know, uh, especially playing Circle of the Moon, it was impossible to even see it <laughs> at yes. times. Like it, I, th- that, for anyone that doesn't know, the original Game Boy Advance didn't have a backlight to it. And so if, if you're playing these games that are kind of dark, like Circle of the Moon was, you just couldn't see the thing. It was almost impossible unless you were just sitting right underneath a lamp or you had one of those worm lights where you could maybe see a small portion of the screen <laughs> where it's just, you know, the warm light itself is just reflecting off the screen and blinding you. Uh, it, it was just kind of like that. Thankfully, by the time the later games came out, uh, I think a lot of developers learned to just blow out the brightness of the game, which is if you play it on emulators these days, it all, it, the colors and things just kind of look like it's blown out anyway. Mm. Uh, so it's, it kind of sucks playing them now, but that's what, what they did. To maybe so you could see it a little bit better, uh, but yeah, those those original or that original Castlevania on the Game Boy Advance, I just remember struggling with it to even even see it most of the time. And and I didn't even think about that because I did have the original Game Boy Advance that didn't have the backlight. Later on, I got an SP that did, uh, and so I didn't have that problem at that point. But you're right; when I played it the first time, I definitely had a hard time because I had to be in the, like the perfect situation to to see it and play it very well because it was. Uh, a very drab-looking game, which is fine for a Castlevania, but you're right. With that light situation, it meant there were parts where I just couldn't tell what was going on. I, I had to really, you know, make sure I was in the right spot to play it. Uh, thankfully, like I, like you said, in Harmony of Dissonance, they really pushed the color up. And this game kind of scaled it back a little bit from that, I think. Uh, but I also think, by this point, most of the GBAs would have been backlit. So that's not as much of an issue. Mm. Um, like I mentioned before, this is one of the, the Castlevanias that does not star uh, a Belmont or someone from the Belmont clan. Uh, it's not the only one by any means, but it's it's the, the other Game Boy games were about Belmonts. And this one instead is in the future. It starts in the year 2035, and you are Soma Cruz. You're a college student. You're at some sort of Japanese shrine during an eclipse, and you, you walk up to the top of the shrine. And all of a sudden, uh, 
during this full moon, you you get knocked out and you wake up and you're in some strange, like outside of some strange castle you don't know. You wake up with your friend Mina who came with you to the shrine and then somebody named Genya Arakado who looks very awful familiar if you're f- familiar with Castlevania, but you don't know anyone named Genya Arakado. And so you're trying to figure out why you're there, you know, what happened to you, how did you get transported to this castle or whatever. And at this point, you know, something comes and attacks Mina and... Uh, Genya says, oh, you must make sure that you, you know, you can fight these guys. So you fight the first thing that comes up, and this thing flies out of it. A giant red ball flies out of the monster mm-hmm. and into your character. That's the soul system that Jeremy mentioned before. What really differentiates this Castlevania from prior is the soul system. So every enemy you kill in the game has a chance of dropping a soul, which is that big ball that flies at you. They're silver in kinds. They all have different abilities. Some are straight-up attacks. Some do things like... They let you walk on water, or some let you walk underwater without any any problems. Some of them do things like summon familiars. I mean, it's all these different abilities that every different monster in the game has. Plus, there's some of these souls that come out of, uh, like, after you beat a boss, they'll be in, like, a special urn or chalice or something. And that will come and hit you, and that gives you the major abilities you need to kind of progress your way through the castle. The standard Metroidvania kind of skills. So, the ability to turn yourself into a bat so that you can fly through little narrow corridors or up and high at things where you couldn't get to before. Or, the, the first one you get is the ability to to float. So you'll all of a sudden your your character will jump a little bit higher but also they'll then, then slowly float down across the screen which allows you to jump, you know, from one platform to one you could no way reach before and that opens up a new section of the castle. A- again, it's a very standard Metroidvania in how how the game progresses. You start in one smaller area and you can see there are places you can't get to till you get a new ability. Once you do, it makes the castle bigger and bigger and bigger as you fight uh, stronger enemies and uh, uh, this l- this game, much like Symphony of the Night, uh, and unlike the traditional 2D Castlevanias from like the 8-bit and 16-bit eras, you have an experience bar. Uh, you have uh, levels that go up with that experience bar, and that gives you more health, more strength, more stats. Like it, it's it's got a lot to it. If you played Symphony of the Night or any of the earlier, you know, Metroidvania Metroid or Metroidvania Castlevanias, you'll understand exactly how this is set up. But the difference in this is those soul systems. It really does mean you can kind of create your own layout for. Uh, you know, every single fight and every single boss you have, you could have a different set of souls to really take advantage of the situation. Mm-hmm. Now, this is part of my, not the soul system, but my one complaint really with this game mm. is the story that you mentioned. This game takes place in 2035. Now, would it, either of you have ever known <laughs> that this game takes place in 2035? Uh, yeah, because... It, it, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, you're getting at the fact that even though it is in the future... Um, you end up in an old ass mansion anyway. Uh, yeah, and they I, yeah. do nothing with it. As far I, there's really nothing in the game, uh, besides maybe a couple of things that are mechanical that yeah. might look a little bit, you know, of the time. But the castle, the enemies, everything about it is still just very old school Castlevania yeah. looking. And I thought that was one thing when I when I read previews about this back in the day, and they said 2035. I was like, oh, no, oh, no, you fuckers. It's going to be like Blade Runner Castlevania. He's have, be you, have your, your fucking laser whip. And yeah, laser yeah. whip. Be using, like, machine guns. I was like, this is their uh, yeah, chance to, to do it, and they're going to do it. They said 2035. It's in the far-flung future. And they didn't do anything with it, <laughs> it really at all. And, I mean, back then I was like, oh, thank God. They didn't mess with Castlevania too much. Yeah. But these days, I was like, God damn it, they could have done something with that. Mm-hmm. Like, just put, you know, something in there to remind you that it's in the future at times. Yeah, it really, I guess it's just so that there's some kind of major passage of time so you don't expect to see the traditional 
like Castlevania Belmont heroes in there. But at the same time, all these people uh, are in this mansion. So you're in this mansion you were teleported to. You don't, you can't leave it. It looks like you're kind of stuck there. Not only is the girl mm. that you came there with, uh, Mina there, but this guy, Genya Aracado. And then as you're going through the first few areas, you'll meet new people. You'll meet Graham Jones, who says he's a missionary. You'll meet uh, Yoko Belnades, which if you play the series, you, you recognize that name. That was Saifa's last name from Castlevania Three, uh, and, and as someone who's been in the series since. Uh, you'll meet a man named Hammer, who ends up being like your shopkeeper. Uh, and then someone who just calls himself Jay at first. Uh, again, he looks very familiar if you're, if you're into the, the Castlevania feel. So as you're going through, you'll actually figure out who these people are. Most of the people in this mansion are somehow related to other people in the world of Castlevania. So Genya Aracado... Uh, by the end of the game, you find out is actually like a, a poorly disguised Alucard. Um, the, the Yoko Belnades is is somebody from, you know, the the Belnades uh, bloodline, and then Jay, the manuet for you know, as you're walking around, you realize, wait a minute, he's got a whip, like he's <laughs> he fights things, he must be, and of course he is somewhere in the Belmont family line, and so all these people have have come here because they know that at this point, during this eclipse in 2035, somehow somebody can get the powers of Dracula and therefore become Dracula, you know, resurrect Dracula within themselves and become the new Dark Lord. And so some of the people are there because they want to be that Dark Lord, and some of the people are there because they want to stop this Dark Lord. And so you're trying to figure out why are you there? What is, why did you get sent here? What are you supposed to be doing? Are you supposed to be helping the people trying to, to stop this? Are you supposed to, you know, get that power for yourself, and it turns out, ultimately, that that is the case. You are supposed to be the resurrected Dracula, uh, but because that wouldn't be a very fun game, just become the evil guy, at the, and, and then, you know, that's the end of the game, uh, you do have to figure out a way to kind of stop from becoming the Dark Lord, even if you are supposed to be the resurrected power of Dracula. Can can you do something? Can you find a way to, to break the curse so where you would not become the Dark Lord? And, and that is what the, the story of the game is. It doesn't matter for when you're playing it. It plays... Again, like a very, um, a very standard, open world Metroidvania style game. Get get to a new area, and and they're all castle themed. There aren't a lot of crazy areas. It's not like you go to one area and you're, you know, in in a jungle, and you go to one area and you're like on the moon. It's all it's all up until the very end of the game. A very standard. You know, there's a library, and there uh, is like an underground cave system, and there's a little like uh, flooded. Uh, flooded underwater cave system too with it like there's all the things you'd expect in a castlevania a, cr uh, a chapel like a, a clock tower area all the regular castlevania stuff but there are some some really neat areas in the game the garden uh, i think it's the garden of eden where each room connects through the left and right side of the room but it doesn't take you directly to the room next to it if you look on your map you see you're teleporting all over the place within like these six rooms mm. i thought that was kind of neat frustrating but kind of neat you know really the, the big draw for me in this was trying to get all the souls from every enemy and sometimes you'd have to kill one and get lucky and other times you know your 20 or 30th kill of a monster that's only in two rooms and you're still trying to get their soul yeah i forgot how much i enjoyed this i mean this mm -hmm. is essentially what bloodstained uses uses these days uh for its game it's a little bit different you know bloodstained is more like using uh your you get special weapons uh from your souls or whatever that you can use uh but this one it's it's a little bit simpler. Uh, it doesn't. It's not as broken as Bloodstained is, as far as like the stuff that you can get and how it can, you know, just completely take over the game. The rest of the stuff isn't useful. There's a lot of stuff in th in this one that's actually really fun to use, uh, even if, if it isn't something that I was like using all of the time. Uh, there was just a lot of really neat little things here and there that 
that I, I kind of enjoyed pulling out every now and again. But yeah, I totally got that that Pokemon feeling uh, when I was playing through this again. I was like, oh, I need to get this stupid soul from this one enemy that hasn't dropped anything so far. Um, it, it's, it was something different uh, for the Castlevania series, and I really wish they would have done more of that instead of... I, did they use that soul system ever again? Because I kind of missed the Castlevanias after that. I did the thing you guys did after this. I didn't play anything mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for quite a while. And then when Bloodstain came out, I was like, oh, God, they just used that system. They finally put it back in a game. Uh, the the sequel to this, uh, the first DS game, Dawn of Souls, did use um, the same system. It's been a long time since I played that one. I do remember liking it, but I don't remember liking it as much as I enjoyed playing this game this time. Like, just the the way everything clicked together for me in this, uh, I could not put it down. You know, you mentioned Bloodstained, which is the the, the current, I guess, game that... that uh, Koji Ijarashi is is working on mm-hmm. or worked on he's doing the sequel now and 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 again he's no longer with with Konami so he's basically made his own version of Castlevania that doesn't star any Belmont it's not called Castlevania but it's as close as you can possibly get without saying it's Castlevania and and I thought while I liked Bloodstained it it dragged in spots it took me a while to really get into it it, it does too many things there's a a bunch of like side quests you can do in it and I felt like you had to do them and then there's you know you can trade in souls for to, to like upgrade souls and there's all this extra stuff to it which is it's fine but this is much simpler it's much more condensed mm-hmm. it's much more what i you know if i get a soul great it, it's all i need like that that soul is fine on its own there's no negative to having multiple versions of the same one who cares you could i think you can sell them uh, at that one shop once it opened but it's not you're not getting much money for them if you can uh, the other thing is that all the monsters will drop some of them will also drop you know different weapons and armor which is how it worked in Symphony of the Night as well. And there were some really fun weapons in this as well. So not only are the souls really neat, they, they use your magic power for the most part. And you can get mm-hmm. fireballs that you, that you get from your your souls that drop from enemies. You can get laser beams. You can get all these crazy stuff. And that's fine and good. But the fact is that the other weapons are also, one, you're going to use them more often because they don't take magic power. But two, they actually were a good mix of weapons. I didn't find any that I absolutely hated. Um, I didn't really use, there's a pistol, I didn't really use that one very much, but, I mean, like, I found a sword that would turn into, a, like, a chain whip. That was rad. Yeah. I love that thing. Yeah. And, and by that, the end, it was is, just whatever is, the biggest sword I could get was that wasn't too slow was what I chose to use. But it, it's, I would switch back and forth because there were some that had a fire ability and there were some mm-hmm. that had, like, a holy ability. So depending on what you were fighting, they would do different amounts of damage, too. It was, there's a lot to this, but it's not overwhelming. Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, this really hit the sweet spot for me. Uh, because yeah, I feel like every kind of system they have in place, from the soul system to the to the weapons, um, it's it's there's plenty to pick from. It, it's really cool the way they pull it off, but it doesn't hit that point to where it becomes a fucking chore. It doesn't it doesn't hit that point to where I feel like I'm gonna have to get online and and read and read up enough to where it almost qualifies as homework to you know to to really get the fine points of the game down. So I mean, fucking my hats off. They hit a lot. At least for me personally, a lot of sweet spots with this game. And yes, that 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 sword that turns into the whip, um, it might be might be my favorite weapon in any of these Castlevania games. I there's just something about these Game Boy Advance Castlevanias that uh, I I want to put it down to castle design as far as just like how it it, it doesn't feel like it's overwhelming. Mm. It, it, it feels like a more you can move through it easier. Uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that Symphony has the best castle design ever. It's there's certainly areas in that game I think have not been uh, uh, 
surpassed as far as design goes, but there mm. were some stinkers in Symphony of the Night as well. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's like the library, I, I never liked that, that that area. There's some of those areas in the Upside Down Castle that's just completely garbage upside mm. down. But like getting through this, uh, the castle for the most part is is really fun to get through. And I think that's something that was actually lost after the Game Boy Advance Castlevanias. Um, I didn't play too much of the DS ones, but uh, even in Bloodstained, like I think there's a lot, lot of areas in that map that are just not very good. They're just not designed very well. They're trying to do the Metroid thing, but there's this weird art to doing that and making those mm-hmm. areas feel fun to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Arya is is. One of the best, one of the best in the series, uh, as far as just making making this map feel like it's it's super fun to get around. Every area is well designed for the most part. Um, like you said, the whole like teleporting uh, the garden part was, was neat when that came up. I was like, oh my god, what's going on? You you open up the map screen, you're just all over the place, and figuring out figuring that out was fun. But once you do, it's pretty simple to get through it. So yeah, that's I, I wish people paid more attention even today when they're making these Metroidvania kind of games, to just the art of laying these levels out. I think that was my biggest problem with Chasm, who tr- that tried to do this, because oh, they yeah. did, like, the whole, like, it was randomized, and it just, it doesn't fit like that. Like, it's a good game, yeah. but it just doesn't fit well. Uh, you have to really know what you're doing, and Arya is, is just so damn good at doing that. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's one of those things. I think with a lot of these... Um, Metroidvania type games. What gets me is when they try to just make it big and sprawling just for the sake. It's just cause, hey, we yeah. can't, we can, we can. Um, so I mean, you see here with uh, and fucking, I'll, I'll say, Game Boy Advance is a the mighty little thing here. Um, but definitely when when you see you're working within a little more, I think when you're working within a little more, you know, restrictions as far as what you have, that's that's when some real gems have come around. Uh, you look at games like uh, back on the Game Boy, we kind of marveled um, at what they pulled off with Link's Awakening. Um, you know, it, it felt like a full, full-ass Zelda game, but, you know, just it, it was a fraction of, of some of the other ones. And to this day, I think one of the better ones. And it's, it's yeah. similar with this. Um, you know, they worked with the, what they had, and they, they, I'm sure, pushed it as far as they could, but still, you know, they still had to kind of kind of make things a little smaller, a little more concise. I think they made up for it because I think this particular mansion and, and area has some, probably the most personality of anyone I've encountered in, in, a, in a Castlevania game. And it's just it's enjoyable to go through because even as much as I love some of the, some of the other titles, Symphony Night included, I personally I get a uh, I get a little fatigued. Yes, as it goes along, fatigue does set in, and uh, I, I definitely, upon upon finishing this one, um, kind of felt, hey, this is one I, I I would come back to this one much quicker than than I would most Castlevanias to to replay. Yeah, and, and speaking of of limitations and and working with what you got, and I don't know if this is so much limitations or they were just you know they they got what they got and they want to use it. They don't want to make too much mm. new stuff. This was the first Castlevania that I really started noticing just how much they they were reusing those enemy sprites. Like there were, there's mm. a lot of these that I that go all the way back to Rondo. I think uh, you just you just keep seeing them pop up, and they're the exact same sprites that you saw back in in previous games. They might just be a little bit 
different in, in whatever, but you're like, oh, I, I know that guy. He was back in Symphony. He was in, uh, this guy. He's in Rondo. He's throwing the fucking flaming barrels. Uh, I, I think that's just, uh, I don't know, some people would say that's, it, that's charming to see those throughout <laughs> the Castlevania games. And I guess I would, I would say that as well. But this was one of the first ones I was like, ah, they just use a lot of these over and over, don't they? Well, even in the in the game on its own, there were, there's a handful of enemies that you'll see. I mean, there's a lot of enemies in the game overall, but there are some enemies you'll see where you're like, wait, I saw that guy before, but he was slightly different. And it's like it's the same body shape, but instead of like a spear, he's got a sword, and he has some other magic ability that the other guy didn't have. And you're like, oh, okay. And there's a bunch of those like that. There's like the the Valkyries that are like that, and there's there's these like flying zombie guys. There's the demons that will like summon and and. Uh, appear in the middle of the room and then vanish, and there's like three or four different kinds of those, and they all look exactly the same. The only difference is how they attack you uh, and, and therefore what they might be be weak to or whatever. So I didn't mind that, and in a Castlevania game, I guess charming is probably right. I would kind of be concerned if I didn't see zombies and you know Medusa heads and all the stuff you expect in a Castlevania, mm-hmm. but uh, but it's definitely, there, there was definitely some, some reusing of, of assets even in the game itself, and maybe that's why it runs so smoothly, I don't know. Um, that they didn't have to, you know, have a hundred different, completely different enemies. As long as they had fifty enemies, and some of them are kind of repeated, that's okay too. Um, one of the other things I liked about the castle, I think, that helps. And I, you know, I know it's not fair to compare this game to a game like Bloodstained, really. But the in Bloodstained, which I just finished uh, like a couple months ago before we started this, there are huge areas where I felt there were there was too much of a gap between save spots, or when you finally got the teleport rooms. In that game, it was really hard to like get to certain areas. Even with a good good teleport room, you still had to walk a good way. I think this game has a really good layout of save rooms and those teleporters, so I didn't feel like I at any point did I have to really do a ton of backtracking uh, unless I wanted to. I could really kind of warp around the castle and do a, a minimal amount of getting to a certain spot, which is mm-hmm. always helpful, especially on a, on a on a handheld game where you know you're at, at that time you're limited by battery life. Or, uh, or how long you were, wherever you were going to be, where you were playing a handheld before you got, you know, done with your car ride or whatever it was you were doing, where you've been using a handheld. Um, the other thing was that the rooms being smaller uh, in this game, I think that helps a lot because, again, and, and I hate to throw out Bloodstained again, but it's what it is. There are, there are areas in Bloodstained where I feel like there's one enemy in a massive room and not a boss, just like, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. two guys in this giant area. And you're like, why? Why, do they, why don't they make it a smaller area and make it more dangerous? This does that. Every room in this is, is pretty well stocked uh, with, with things to avoid or things to fight. And, and, and that always is good. I, I don't like to have a whole lot of downtime in a game like this. I feel like it has to kind of chain from one enemy to the next to keep you moving. And this does that very well. Uh, the music in this game is excellent. It's a Game Boy Advance game, but it's a Castlevania. I don't think there's a Castlevania with bad mm-hmm. music, even Castlevania 64. Uh, so th- music is great. The, the graphics, like we said, it's animated very well, although the monsters you're fighting mm-hmm. plus your own character are animated wonderfully. Here's my question to, I guess, Jeremy, you'd played this before, so you kind of probably knew this. Billy, did you have to look up, you know, in all these these Metroidvania Castlevanias, there's always, like, a thing you have to do to get the real ending. So in Symphony of Night, you had to, you know, uh, go to the upside-down castle, and then you can fight the actual real enemy, right? And then in... Uh, in the sequel to this, you have to find a special pair of glasses so that you can see a mirror is like a teleporter or something silly like that. In this game, I had to actually look up how to get the real ending. I could not figure it yeah. out in the game. No, 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 no. It was something I had to look up, but I, um, you know, thankfully was at this point in time pretty used to the concept that I might have to. And I, geez, especially now that we've been playing these games this long, um, it, it's not the, it's not the shameful thing 
that it used to be for me to get on there and look. So yes, I did have to look, or else it I, it, it wouldn't have happened. There's no way. I don't. I, I don't. Can you stumble upon this? I guess the, you could. It is. It does tell you what you need to do, and and I I got some of the clues, but I didn't find all the clues. Um, yeah, I did not. In yeah. in the in hidden in the castle are these three tomes, and mm-hmm. they give you a clue as to like what the the souls you'll need to equip are. You need to have uh, a, for your your bullet soul, which is like the attack red souls. The blue souls are mm-hmm. called guardian souls. Those are the ones that use your R button that does things normally like uh, to glide or to turn into a bat. And then the yellow is the enchanted soul. Those are permanent effects like being able to swim or whatever. And so you have to have three specific uh, souls uh, as your your like active souls. The ones you have equipped. Ba- I'm trying to think. You have, to have three specific mm-hmm. souls equipped and fight the previous final boss in in air quotes that no one can see uh and that will you know progress the story along to where you can go to the last couple you know fight a couple extra bosses go to a whole new area and uh and and fight the true ending of the game so the the i didn't write down what the clue was which would have been helpful but but the the clues are things like uh that you know you need to find this soul that is you know uh, something like a, a beautiful danger or something like that and you'd know if mm. you've if you've got in your that's what i've uh that's what that's what Several women have called me over the years. Well, when you look at the listing of enemies, one of the enemies, I think it's the the succubus, has a, in their description, it's like, it's a beautiful danger. And you're like, okay, mm-hmm. so it's got to be the soul you get from this character. If you've, you know, found those tomes and looked at your your creature guides and all this other stuff, if you have the right three souls, uh, you know, I, that's great. I only found two out of three books. Jeremy, did you f- figure this out when, when you played this the first time, or did you have to look this up too? Uh, the first time I played this, I did not figure this out at all. I can't even remember where I found this at back when I played it uh, originally as a kid. It had to be from a magazine because uh, I don't think I had the internet. So there was some either, I don't think it was blind luck, but I'm pretty sure I managed to find it out in some sort of uh, strategy guide or something uh, that was out there. But yeah, this is uh, this is definitely one of the more obscure ones, I, I think, that... Uh, there's, you know, even in Symphony, if you're listening, you can kind of figure it out. But this one, uh, this one got me. I, I could not figure this one out as a kid. Uh, so I just had to find a magazine somewhere to figure out what I needed to do. Yeah, so you, you equip the right three souls, then you fight the... the so, it, it again, I don't think anyone's worried about spoilers for a Metroidvania or Castlevania game. But basically that Graham Jones, the missionary that is in there, you know, believes he's going to be the one who inherits Dracula's powers. So you you confront him. He, you know, if you don't have the right souls equipped, you beat him, and the game's basically like, great, you've stopped the person who's going to take Dracula's skills. Uh, you know, that good job. This is now, you know, until the next eclipse at this per, per certain day, 36 years from now, we'll have to try again, but at least for now, you know, Dracula's stalled, the end. And you're kind of like, I still feel like something's not quite right. So that's the bad ending. When you have the right three souls equipped and you fight Graham, uh, then... You know, you basically figure out after you you take him out, like, oh, I'm Dracula. I'm supposed to be the the ultimate Dark Lord. And then that's when uh, Julius Belmont shows up and basically is like, look, we can figure out a way to stop this curse. Uh, it, you know, and if not, I'll kill you. And then, and then the game progresses on. You have to fight a few more bosses. You go to a whole new area. Uh, w- when you're in the Garden of Eden area um, or Garden of whatever it's called, where you are teleporting around in those different rooms, one of the rooms looks totally different from the others, and there's like a a a door that has like this black mist swirling around it. Well, once you've gotten to that point in the game, you can go in there and that gives you access to like the chaotic realm, which takes you through parts of this castle, but they're a little bit different. Um, 
that was a neat section. I was kind of just glad to be done with it and get to the, the end of the game. That's kind of like the, the idea of the inverse castle. It's the same place you've been, but it's slightly different. It's way smaller. It's not nearly the size of the full map, but you're going through kind of the beats of the areas you've already gone through. Uh, and then you get to the actual last boss of the game, which has several forms. It's a very, you know, like a, a full-size, full-screen-size boss with multiple multiple phases. It, it's a really neat boss. But, yeah, that to figure out exactly what to do, I mean, I did find two of the books, but even with those, I still had to look up and say, what does this even mean? What is What am I supposed to be figuring out here? So this is definitely the hardest one for me to, to have gotten the real ending on my own. I don't know if I would have done it without having, you know, the Internet in front of me right now. Can I just just say thank God they did not do an entire inverse castle with oh, this I know. one. <laughs> I, I that was one of the coolest discoveries ever back when, in Symphony. But when I started playing, I was like, oh my God, they're going to make me play this whole fucking castle upside down. Yeah. So I was super scared that there was just going to be every other Castlevania after that was going to do the same thing. And when I I remember as a kid when they when I went through that door and saw that this is like a different version, I was like, oh God. It's just going to be the whole castle again, and mm -hmm. but yeah, thank God it, it's not. It's it's uh, it's doable. Uh, you know, they hell they may have actually wanted to do a whole inverse castle, but they couldn't do it on the GBA. Thank God. So yeah, I'm glad it's not in here for once. What nice. you guys think of those bosses? So the hell yeah, yeah. I'd say the bosses on this game are, are not hard. So my it's not a complaint. This is how all my, I guess if I had a complaint about this game, and really this applies to all the Metroidvania style Castlevania, so Symphony Night included, is because you have levels and you have these abilities that you can, you know, kind of hone in and decide, okay, well this this monster takes extra damage from holy, or if I have this specific sword, I can, you know, do this move and throw it across the room, or whatever it is in these games. I think for the most part, up until the very last boss of this game, I think all the bosses are extremely easy. And a lot of the time, if you have any problems, just go out and level up a couple times and come back in and just smoke them. So they looked cool, but I didn't think any of the bosses in this game were difficult. I, I think they were mostly going for spectacle on a lot of these. Mm -hmm. You know, like the, the big face and the hands and the back background boss or whatever. Like, that was super cool the first time that came up. And I, I think there's just a lot of those that... Uh, you know, they. I think they knew that they. When you're going to introduce that kind of system, you can't do too much with these bosses. You know, they're they're kind of. They have to be made for the lowest common denominator. They're not wanting you to go out and grind the entire game to, to manage to beat a boss. Uh, it's it's mostly just like you get to a boss and you beat him. But yeah, there's there's not too much challenge in there with them. But I always enjoyed seeing what they'd come up with, especially on the Game Boy Advance, which was. Actually, usually, usually in this one, more impressive than than the bosses that were in Symphony. Oh yeah, no, I, I mean they all looked cool, and I like their like the, the like they have the the one that's the ball of bodies or whatever. Again, in this game, who's down in like the dungeon area or the underground caves area. Like I, I like the bosses. I I didn't dislike them, but just especially maybe it's because I've played you know the original eight bit Castlevanias and the sixteen bit Castlevanias more recently, where you know you've kind of got a really learn that boss pattern and all the bosses are very difficult if you, if you don't know exactly what to do to stop them to come to this where i feel like it's more of a tank and spank in some levels you know it's like okay as long as i've got the right armor and the right sword i can just stand here and you know swing away and just try to heal over and over again it, it just it's not bad it's that's my complaint with all these games but that's not a complaint that's the thing i wish was different but at the same time like i don't know how you fix that how can you give yourself the ability to make your character essentially whatever you want it to be and as strong as you want it to be as long as you're willing to grind and then still have a challenge in these bosses? The only Again, the only one I had really multiple deaths on at all was was the last boss themselves, and that's mainly because I just 
I had to figure out exactly how to even hurt it and what phases you're going through. And I got to, <laughs> so this game, because there is a store and you can have so many healing items, I get to the, the end and there was no way to go back to that store. And so I had managed to not realize I was stuck in the chaos world. There's a save spot right outside of the last boss's room. And I had like three healing items total. And I was like, well, I'll be fine. So it's like I had to then actually learn that boss, like every single thing he did to make sure I didn't have to use these healing items. Because otherwise, you know, by the time I got the third phase, I was like, well, I'm done. I have no healing items left. There's nothing I can do. I have no magic power. I'm, I'm just SOL mm. because I didn't take the time ahead of time to make sure I was fully stocked up. And it, the game even warned you. It's like, hey, once you go here, you may not be able to get back. And I was like, whatever. And I, and I just kept going. And, uh, <laughs> but, but still, that's, that's, that's not a complaint. That's kind of what I... I I enjoyed that. I felt really good finishing it because I did get to do that with essentially not healing at all, which is great. So, uh, a neat, a neat kind of twist to it to have, uh, to have that that actual that extra area that wasn't super long, but it did feel like I was going through the the areas I already been before. I like that. So, I think there's a lot of after the the Super NES uh, Castle Castlevania Four, uh, you know, and starting with Symphony, a lot of those bosses were just. It's like the whole castle is basically just a bunch of really easy bosses, and then here's let's give you a last boss that is really kind of hard that you have to learn. Uh, even Bloodstain mm-hmm. did that, you know. It kind of most of those bosses were just so easy, and then you get to that last boss, and you're just like, oh man, I actually got to pay attention now. So yeah, and and this one kind of does that too. So I, I don't, I just like you said, I don't really know what you can do. I remember Circle of the Moon having some pretty challenging bosses. But I think that was mostly just because of how straightforward that game was and, and how simplified it was over previous, uh, you know, over Symphony, that it, it mm-hmm. could do that. And you actually had to, you know, learn some of those bosses a little bit. But once you start getting in, into this design of going back to the whole Symphony of just having a lot of stuff everywhere, yeah, you just there's not much you can really do. And then make that last boss super fucking hard uh, and, and hope yeah. that people <laughs> can, can make it through. Well, this game is available still if you have a Wii U. You can buy this on the Virtual Console. But also there have been, uh, I guess, some rumors that they have a Game Boy Advance Castlevania collection that's been registered somewhere. Uh, I think it's Australia. Somewhere where you have to, like, you know, ahead of time get <laughs> things approved. So who knows if it's coming. If there is a portable Castlevania, like Game Boy Advance Castlevania collection coming, I wouldn't be too shocked. Konami's put out the other Castlevania collection and the, the Contra collection. I would definitely mm-hmm. buy it. I think this game itself on its own is worth it. Uh, I don't think... Circle of the Moon is as good, but it's not bad, and I, I have never played Harmony of Dissonance, so I'd like to finally give that one a shot, too. Um, but yeah, if you have a Wii U, here's another reason, just like Metroid Fusion, to run out, download these things soon, because I'm pretty sure the eShop is stopping probably before the end of the year. Uh, I know they aren't putting anything new on it, and you can no longer buy um, buy, buy gift cards or something for it. So it, it's... You know, it's one more reason to keep that Wii U going because uh, this is actually pretty great on the uh, uh, the Wii U tablet. It actually still like that screen is bigger than the Game Boy Advance screen, but it's not a giant television, so things still look really, really good on it. Uh, and, and it's a great way to play those games. Like the Game Boy Advance, I was just always really impressed, like how those games advanced. You know, from the first to to the last, and uh, the, the the GBA always impressed me all the way up till the end. It started off very simple. Uh, you know, here's like a, a portable Super NES, and by the end, they were shoving the entire game of Street Fighter Alpha on there with more characters that was on like the Saturn and the PlayStation version. Like, it's insane what people managed to do with that little handheld console uh, and, and playing the, these Castlevania games in that order. You can see just how much, uh, how much more they, they learned 
they could do with these games to the point where you basically just get a, a really good handheld Symphony of the Night that in many ways is a, a better game than Symphony. So I, I, I'm going to have, I'm glad you prefaced it with that since this doesn't come out of the blue, but it, it's much in the way where I can say, you know, uh, Ocarina of Time is probably the, the best Zelda game, but my favorite one is Link to the Past, right? I, I Symphony and I clearly is fucking, you know, it's as good as it gets for Castlevania. This one's got to be my favorite, though. Um, man, uh, this one really fucking it took what I liked from Symphony and Night. It gave me a more condensed version. It gave me, you know, it, 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 it didn't have the filler in it. It didn't feel bloated at all. Um, it was just a really as far as Castlevania go, the, the smoothest um, playthrough I've had. And and I'll probably, goddamn, I'll probably do it again soon. So that's our thoughts on. Castlevania Ari of Sorrow. Thank you again, Logan, for picking this one. And again, as a reminder, if you want us to cover your game, our Patreon is linked in the comments for this episode. It's also all over all our social media. Or you can just go to Retrovania.net. You can find links to all of our social media sites. You can find links to our YouTube channel to see any videos we put up there. Uh, of course, this podcast. And there's links to the Patreon. But more importantly, at the very bottom of the page, there's a form. And it's just right there. You can type whatever you like into it. Any question you have, and it comes right to us. And we'll answer it on the show like we're going to do in a large volume right now. God damn. You guys have been wearing that damn form out. Yeah, a, a bit. And I, I've heard rumor that the previous episode, you guys didn't even do listener questions. What, what's going on? Well, you guys just go, go to sleep or something? It turns out it only goes to you, and you were busy. So we didn't want to bother you <laughs> with asking for listener mail. <laughs> so we just did the episode uh, yeah, I you know I'm sorry I haven't been around. I think anybody that's that's gone through a, a whole thing of actually uh, uh, dealing with a a sick and, and dying family member it's it's a, it's a thing. So I haven't been around, oh, yeah. uh, but oh, it's yeah. it's good to be back. Uh, but goddamn, we got a lot of questions here. Uh, yeah. So we're just gonna pile it all on uh, for this episode uh, and, and starting it off. Uh, we got a we we got a question from Celeste. We know her. She's all right. Yes, she yeah, made us do right. uh, Willie Beamish, uh, and she uh, she wants to say, please continue keeping it real. R e e l was that a oh, thing? Shit. Oh yeah, that's guys... our fishing episode. Okay. Yeah. okay, all right. Well, I've missed this, so I don't know what you've done. <laughs> I don't know what what has happened since I've been gone. I come back to the <laughs> office and there's fishing rods and lures and and live bait everywhere. So I don't, you know. Uh, I don't know if this is just your new fetish or if you, you know, but apparently you did a show about keeping it real. And she says, hello, guys, I really enjoyed the Animal Crossing installment of Keeping It Real, the special show about fishing in video games. I would love to hear your thoughts on the fishing hole in The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. Oh, man. That's my favorite iteration of fishing in a Zelda game. I'd love to know yours. Also, what's your favorite kind of fish to eat? Salmon, tuna, redfish, catfish. And how do you like to eat it? Thanks for all the content, and have a great day. So Keeping It Real was a show that Billy and I did uh, that was just 
us us deciding that it would be fun to, to just focus on the fishing aspect of games that have fishing as a mini game. Uh, there's a lot of games that have it. Final Fantasy 15, we've talked about during that oh, episode how there's fishing yeah. in that. And of course, Twilight Princess was just mentioned. It just does have a really good fishing game. Ease 8 is another one. So we thought it would be fun uh, when we needed to do a bonus show and you weren't available to do that as kind of a, a test because we're going to have to do three shows a month soon on our bonus mm-hmm. feed once we hit 50 patrons and we're very, very close to that. So uh, as far as my favorite game, uh, fishing mechanic, Twilight Princess was really good. Uh, Final Fantasy XV may be the one I like the most because it was also just the prettiest. Uh, but Ease 8 is the one I'm trying to push on Billy because I really think it's, one, uh, kind of a, mm-hmm. not too complex, but has more to it than just hit A and hit A again. Uh, yeah. But also yeah. the game itself rules, and he needs to give it a shot. Uh, as far as my favorite fish to eat, I, I mean, I eat salmon. I'll eat almost any fish that's not super fishy tasting, if you know what I mean. Like, you know, white most most white fish. Like if you have fish sticks, I don't know if that counts, but that doesn't taste like super fishy. Like if you go out and just catch a trout and cook it up, that tastes super fishy. So, uh, I'm, I'm actually much more of a fan of other seafoods, shrimp and crabs. I live in Maryland. You have to like crabs. So uh, th- that's more what I would go to. But if I'm gonna have a fish like at a restaurant, I'll, I'll get some kind of salmon, especially if it's smoked anytime. Yeah, and, and as far as Zelda games go with fishing, uh, yeah, I mean it. It, it 100% is uh, you know Twilight Princess kind of. It's still the gold standard for for Legend of Zelda fishing. Um, But yes, I also, uh, if we're talking about games in general, and and we won't talk about it too much in case, you know, in case keeping it real, uh, you know, returns. Um, But no, fucking Final Fantasy XV, I cannot talk enough about it. Um, Because that's a full-ass featured fishing game that they tacked into another game, as far as I'm concerned. Um, As far as fish I like to eat, you know, I'm I'm a big seafood guy, like Jeremy P. was kind of saying, though. It, it, it Just like all kinds of other, like shrimp. Um, like a lot of sides and things like that. Um, fucking, you know, calamari and the like. But um, I, if I had to go with a fish, it would, it's usually salmon most of the time. Um, I'm a big sushi guy. And you can serve me any fucking fish you want to with that. Um, and I'll down it. Uh, but yeah, uh, mostly a salmon guy. Uh, when it comes to seafood, I just... I, I, any seafood sides, I feel like you can't go wrong. I would say, uh, for my favorite fishing spot, is, is going to just be by that, under, underneath that bridge in, in Sega Bass Fishing. Uh, it's, oh, it's an all time yeah. favorite of mine. <laughs> I, I know it's, you know, it's inside of a fishing games, but. Oh, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just always, that was probably my all time favorite fishing game. And just sitting there as a kid, putting my feet up, throwing that plastic rod out yeah. there. <laughs> and uh, it was so relaxing. It was. Yeah. Uh, it was one of my favorite favorite times, and uh, not too long ago, Billy uh, was doing a, a Twitch stream of that, and and he was on that stage, and I was just like bringing back so many good memories, sitting there and just catching fish. You know, that's what we did yeah. back then. Um, yeah. For for fish, I I'm kind of like you guys. I'm a I'm a huge seafood fan. It's probably my favorite uh, food, uh, you know, mm-hmm. type of food. But recently, I actually had um, uh, mahi mahi. And that oh, was yeah. grilled, and that was actually really, really good. It's it's mm. kind of like almost the texture of a, a lobster, but with a yeah. little bit you just kind of fish in there with it, uh, the texture anyway. But and that was really good. But for the most of my life, I grew up on the lakes uh, with my grandpa, mm. and you know what we caught back then was uh, <clears throat> a bunch of bluegill and, and crappie, or or as he would say, crappy. Uh, but mm. we we did a whole lot of that. We catch those bring those in fry those up that was generally what i 
remember most as a kid as, as far yeah. as eating. And that's, you don't really find that too much now. You, maybe you can find uh, bluegill here and there, but, um, you know, I, I can't hardly find it unless I just go out and catch it. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I could do that these days. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that is probably my favorite, but any, any other day I'll, I'll go to the store, get some salmon, grill it up. I'm good with that. It's, it's mm-hmm. always good to me, no matter what kind of fish it is. Uh, but thank you, Celeste, <clears throat> for writing in. And uh, next is going to come from Nilly Gilliday. And uh, hey, this I one's... like the I like the uh, I like the sound of this person. <laughs> well, it's actually directed at Jeremy because oh, no. apparently he fucked up. I do a lot. Uh, uh, and this one, he's talking about Ninja Gaiden. Oh, and I say it wrong for years. Well, here we go. Uh, how do you guys pronounce Ninja Gaiden? You put the emphasis on emphasis on guy in Gaiden. Like Guy Din, the way Jeremy P pronounced it during the Batman review seems wrong. What did you, What did you say? I I don't remember, and I'm gonna be honest. I don't know if I know how to say it the right way. So is it? It's supposed to be Ninja Guy Den. Uh, that's how I've always well. And when I was a kid, I said Ninja Gaiden. Right. Because so that's did just I. how it was spelled. Uh, you know, but I over the years, I, it's it's Gaiden, right? I I think so, but perhaps uh, the Batman episode I called it Gadeen. I don't know. I'm gonna have to go back and listen. But I'm sure I oh, said man. it wrong. As everyone that listens to this oh. podcast knows, I'm kind of a mushmouth idiot. So <laughs> sometimes <laughs> the things I say, uh, like every name I've ever pronounced on the show, uh, are wrong. So sorry. And I mean, I I I never correct anything. I live in the I live in the fucking South. Things come out the way they come out, and you know, take it to fucking face value. So. Uh, you knew what he was talking about, right? I mean, as long as you know what somebody's talking about, I, I let it slide at that point. It's like those people that would yell at me back in the day for for calling Dalsim like Dalsim or something, mm. uh, or, or vice versa. Like it's it's the same thing. You know who I'm talking about. Uh, I I don't know. It's it's just something. Is like if you know what somebody's talking about, you don't need to you don't really need to yell at them unless they just completely mispronounce it to the point where it's offensive, but. Um, I don't know. Maybe he's he's really maybe uh, Nilly Nilly Gilliday is very mm-hmm. offended by anyone mm-hmm. that does not pronounce Ninja Gaiden in the correct way. So I'm going to go with Ninja Gaiden. If you guys know of a different way to pronounce this, uh, feel free to write in and tell us just how wrong we but, are but, about this. But, but spell it phonetically, because otherwise I'm going to continue to say it wrong. <laughs> yeah, like the the way he did the the phonetic uh, for Gaiden was like capital or G U Y dash just regular d-e-n like you're like gaiden right uh, so to, I, I that's kind of how i figure i pronounce it i just say gaiden so maybe you said like maybe gaiden. I had, yeah i must have had a longer gaiden ninja gaiden i don't know Jesus i'll go back Christ, and listen Jeremy. it's been a long time uh since batman <laughs> uh a lot's happened a lot's happened been very busy my basement flooded. okay I'm, I'm all i'm all out yeah i should mention that a lot of these uh came in like uh like a month and a half ago. So uh, if these if these seem, seem old, uh, that's probably why. We're just now getting to them, guys. All right, well, thank you, uh, Nilly, for writing in. And uh, next, next question is from Chris Singleton, and he has a question for the podcast. That's literally what, what, what he said. He just has a question for the podcast. Hey, guys, what's your holy grail game? The one that, the one that if you could have it or already do, would be the prize of your gaming collection. Mine would be Q Qon for the PS2. That's a really weird game to say. I, I don't know if I've really heard of that. That might be really rare or something. But I was like, what? What? 
Um, it's tough because there's games that I've gotten rid of that I wish I still had. Like, I wish I still had Snatcher on Sega CD, uh, like the actual copy of it. But, like, the game I wish I had still that, while it might not be worth the most amount of money, it's the game I really, really kind of want to play, especially for string purposes, was Cube of War for the GameCube. I, that mm. game goes for way too much money now. It's, like, 200 bucks or something for, like, loose, just discs. And I'm never going to pay that much to play Cube of War. It's not that great of a game, but it's just... I thought at the time it was a, a crazy game. I wrote about it when it came out new, and then I sold it, and now I regret it. I wish I still had it. Uh, for me, I, God, it, it's it, it can't be a game that you know I've never been able to play simply by you know from not owning it because it's you know it, it's not an issue nowadays. You, you go down the, the uh, right dark alley, you can you can get a hold of any video game you want, uh, just maybe not the legitimate copy of it. Um, yeah, the game that I regret, uh, and it's one I think I might be able to get it back. And this actually is going to function a little bit as a call out right here. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I took a little bit of a firmer tone right there. Um, this one's going out to my son, uh, who, you know, he's a good kid. He's a good kid, but I gave him my copy of Mario Kart Double Dash um, several years back. So he could play it with his friends, and I I hadn't seen it since then. And uh, I, I fear that if I asked for it, it could not be produced for me. Uh, and that, that hurts, because that that's one of those in my library. You know, I, I keep I keep every Smash that came around, every Zelda, and every Mario Kart, because you never fucking know when you want to pop Double Dash back in. You know, with Double Dash being the, the best of the Mario Kart games. Um so yeah, that is one that I, you know what, I don't think is there for me anymore, and I, it's not super expensive to get now, but it, sure enough, I hate fucking rebuying something. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's it. It, it. It's nothing really extravagant. Um, if you really wanted to go uh, something that would cost me a little bit of change if I wanted it in its authentic format, I could tell you a couple arcade games, and one of those is the fucking Roller Games arcade game. Uh, which I actually came very close to buying uh, years ago, years and years. But I, you know, it, it was it was, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more money than I was willing to spend, or probably had to spend. Um, so yeah, I, nothing too extravagant, really. By the way, uh, just before I get into my stuff, I I looked up Qon Q Qon. I don't know how to actually say the name. It's K U O N. Mm -hmm. Uh, this actually looks pretty cool. I had never heard of it. It is a uh, 2004 survival horror game by uh, oh. a little developer you guys may know uh, from software uh, for the yeah, PlayStation oh, 2. Uh, that, Look it looks that. pretty damn cool. Uh, it's only like 150 bucks on eBay, so it's not too bad. Um, may have to check that one out uh, just to see. I had never heard of that one. Um, but I guess for me, if we're just... It's a game that I actually bought back in the day that I wish I could have again. And I don't know what I did with it. But sticking with, uh, you know, this episode, I had bought the import version of Symphony of the Night. And mm. if you guys ever bought import games back in the day, they weren't just like what we got. You didn't just, for the most part, you didn't just get a CD case and, and a game and like a shitty instruction booklet. Like they usually went all out with their stuff. Like the instructions were fully colored. Uh, you know, you got extra stuff in there with it usually got like a music CD. Like this one came with um, the the game itself. It came with a remix of Castlevania music from like uh, the first three NES games. 
it came with uh, an awesome instruction manual, and it came with like an art book. And it was just like the coolest collection of stuff. And I, I, I had it for years, and I don't know where it went. It was like one of my prized possessions <laughs> of anything, and I just I don't know where I put it. I recently found the art book to it, but I couldn't find anything else, so I don't know why I just parted it out randomly. So apparently there's just a time where I went insane and, and, and lost it. But that was one of my favorites. If we're going arcade games, I think uh, an actual arcade, not like a, a arcade one-up or something like that, but an original arcade unit of MK2. Like, I would mm, absolutely mm-hmm. love uh, to have that sitting around if, if I had the money and the space to do so. But, but I, I think that's, there's probably a lot more that I could think of, but that's, that Symphony of the Night, uh, the import, was, uh, it, it was pretty special. And I wish I could find that. Uh, thank you, uh, Chris, for writing in. And we're going to move over to uh, this guy named Walkover. That's his name. Uh, and he, say, he says, your podcast is a lifesaver. I just discovered your podcast on Spotify. I told you, I told you, people listen to our podcast on Spotify. Oh, I damn, work there nights. We go. <laughs> it's worth it to have. We got that one guy that listens to it on Spotify. <laughs> I work nights with my own car and deliver morning papers and packages. I listened to maybe five episodes so far, and I will go through them all. The Swedish public radio is a big joke. I could probably make it make my own podcast just to, just to discuss that subject with myself, and I don't like the commercials either. I generally listen to biz, business matters on the BBC that's broadcast here at night, but that and the unnecessary podcast with Pat and Ian is all that I listen to. The thing is, is that Spotify doesn't eat up my internet quota, so when I found your podcast, life really improved. I love to hear your views on all the retro and newer games, and I'm totally jealous that you, of you guys having friends to talk to about these old, wonderful games. Please keep it up, and by the way, Kid Icarus is the best Nintendo DS game. Uh, see, I still need to play. Uh, no, wait, DS. Oh, it's a 3DS game. Anyway. Um... Well, I, that's the only Kid Icarus I haven't played, but I would—I thought we were going to say Kid Icarus is the best Nintendo game, which I agree with that 100%. It's the second best, officially, because Goonies 2 is the best. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm glad that we put it on Spotify then. So uh, keep it up. You have, you have several more episodes to go through <laughs> if you've got five yeah, you down. Have, you, yeah, don't, uh, don't, don't go back, you know, to, uh, too far. <laughs> don't go back too far. Maybe come in around what? Maybe 10? Yeah, ten. Ten's pretty good. Honestly, I think <laughs> after like too far. the save first you, two, yeah, save yourself a little time. Um, but no, no, it, it's always great um, to kind of hear, you know, new people coming around, how they came around. Um, you, you've made Jeremy's night. You've, you've justified his push to get us on Spotify. I, we always say if we just get one person, then it was it was worth the effort. So that, there we go. Um, but no, I, I, I sure am glad you're enjoying it. And, you know, stick around. We, we sure as shit ain't got nothing better to do. We'll keep this up. I, now, Kid Icarus on 3DS, that was the one where you used the stylus to, like, fly around, right? That was, like, the one everyone either yeah. absolutely loved or they hated, wasn't it? Or am yeah. I just imagining? It's more like Panzer Dragoon than, uh, yeah. than Kid Icarus, the, the classic Kid Icarus. So I always kind of wanted to play that. Like, it was... It was yeah, one of those games yeah. that either, like, I would hear somebody be like, oh, you know, this is, like, the secret best uh, 3DS game that's out there. Or they'd just be like, this is complete garbage. Why would they ever make this? And I'm guessing it's because they made it, like, Panzer Dragoon, because, you know, Nintendo fans don't like anything that's different from what was before. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
I, I would actually be be interested in, in trying that out at some point. Some point. Uh, anyway, thank you, Walkover, for writing in. We're glad you you like the podcast. Uh, we got a lot of episodes to go, and uh, we got more. If you want to su- subscribe to the Patreon, uh, make your nights go even quicker with some of the mess that we got on on the Super Secret Channel. Anyway, our next question comes in from Mr. Poopy Butthole, and uh, he's talking about games glitching at bad times. I was recently playing Monster Boy for the Switch, which is a decent game if you haven't tried it. So anyways, I was fighting the last boss of the game, managed to get to his final form, and was delivering the final blow to drain his health. Once I managed to beat him, the screen just went black. So I sat there for a good five minutes, pressing every button, but it was just still black. I pressed the home button, got back to the home screen, so I concluded that the game glitched at probably the worst time, which is always very frustrating and was not the first time that this has happened to me in a video game. I was wondering if you could share some of your experiences of something similar happening while playing a video game. Yes, I did load the game back up later that day and beat the boss with ease. There was a stupid cutscene that plays once you beat him, so for some reason that just failed to load when I beat him the first time. Uh, well, first off, I did like Monster Boy on uh, on the Switch is how I played it. It's very good, so good choice there. Uh, I-, I had this happen to me, I was, but I've played several games on Twitch. If I'm playing on actual original like NES hardware, or actually my Dreamcast did the same thing, where I'll be playing a game, all of a sudden it will just freeze, or in the case of the NES, like, you know, like the, the different characters and stuff come up, and it all of a sudden just freezes through. I was playing Castlevania 3, uh, and I did not write down a password to one of the levels I got to, because I was like, oh, cool, I'm near the very end of the game. And after spending about two hours trying to figure out how to get through this level and beat the boss, I got to the next level and the game froze and I had to go back, (laughs) reset, go back to my last password, which was like three levels earlier, and then do the whole thing over again after I'd already done it on Twitch in front of everybody. Uh, That was bad. That's happened to me several times. Happened with uh, with mostly Nintendo games, but I had I had the when I was playing Jet uh, Jet Grind Radio on it as well. That would freeze up and Seaman even when I played Mm -hmm. Seaman. Uh, it would sometimes get to parts where it was supposed to do something, and all of a sudden, Seaman would just start stuttering, like kind of like a CD skip almost, and then it would just not do anything. And that happened to me several times in a row. So that, yeah, mm-hmm. that, it's. I've had lots of times where it, where things glitch out, especially with with older systems, uh, and and PC stuff. But when it's in front of everybody, I think it's worse. Yeah, um, yeah. The old Dreamcast let me down once, also. Um, there, there are several. I, I've told the tale about, uh, it's not really a game glitch, but I had that memory card that shitted out on Final Fantasy VII, uh, which was devastating. I, I, I don't think that that fully counts. Uh, as far as a game oh, glitching out, um, I'm a Dreamcast for some reason. I, I, I can't even pinpoint what the problem is. On Sonic Adventure, I could never get it to save. Um, I could save other games on the Dreamcast just fine. Sonic Adventure would not reliably, like it would every now and then, and then, you know, that save would vanish. Um, so one day it's just, I, I, I said, fuck it. And I sat down and I was going to play it all the way through, beginning to end. Um, and, and, and a couple, it was a couple of sittings. It was a little bit, you know, pause it, turn the old TV off, turn TV back on, get back on there and have at it. Um, and yeah, and I made it to what I would Later on, much later on, because after this happened, I, I did not touch it again for a long time. Um, I made it to what I found out would have been like about the home stretch, like maybe that last last 30 minutes or so of the game. Um, and yeah, I, I got a uh, I, I got like a little flicker. Then I got a, a screen that was stuck. And, you know, and then I was treated to uh, 
you know, to, to no progress whatsoever when I, I finally restarted it. Um, that's probably like one of the most devastating ones just because there was all the trouble leading up and, and my, my solution, even my solution for it was foiled. I guess for me, like the only things I can really remember was, I don't know if this if ever happened to you guys, but like, you know, when we used to have to blow on NES cartridges to get them to work anyway, but like there were definitely times where you would put them in there and over the course of the game, you could see the game slowly dying. Yep. <laughs> like, mm. like there would be, mm-hmm. you know, as you get, past certain points like things that you know were supposed to be grass was like the letter zero or the number zero yep just in (laughs) just something weird like that and there were i i remember playing ninja gaiden back when i rented it of course it came from a video store so it was already bad anyway but i was getting pretty far into the game probably further than i i ever got and i could just see every level there were more and more glitches happening as i was getting through it uh, yeah. just weird stuff happening, enemies that, that weren't actually enemies anymore. They were just blocks of stuff moving at me. And I was just trying my best to get to the point where I could I could just reset the NES, but it just kept getting worse. It was like the most tense video game experience I've ever had in my life. Um, <laughs> but it, besides that, it, it wasn't really a glitch, but back when I was a kid and I was uh, on spring break in Kentucky, my uh, cousin had Super Mario Brothers 3, and we had got all the way to the last uh, ship. We had got past the hands, and we were now on the last ship. And the call came for us, like, do you guys want to go to Walmart and look at toys? And, of course, we said yes. But there was no way to really, you know, power down the system without ruining where we were. So we just left it. We left it at that screen on the last ship, ready to come back mm-hmm. from Walmart looking at toys to, to beat the game. So we did that. We went to Walmart, bought some toys, came back, and my aunt, we got into the, to, went to the room first thing. Console was turned off. And uh, we, we were just like, what? Why? And, of course, my aunt came in and was like, you, you boys left your, your console on, so I went ahead and turned it off for you. Yeah. And it was just, it was, it was rough. It was a rough time there because uh, we had never made it that far. And, um it really sucks to just <laughs> just come back and there's nothing there for you to do. Uh, but yeah, that's that's about the only thing that I can really think of. Um, so thank you, Mr. Poopy Butthole, for writing yeah. in and letting us know about, about your uh, glitching experience. Next question comes in from Plain Mech. He's talking about barcades. Gents, I was oh, curious hell. what your thoughts are on the whole barcade scene. Have you guys been to any? And if so, what do you think makes them successful? Other than beer, oh, food, man. and video games being the holy trinity, are these just tons of folks that enjoy a retro vibe and don't know it's something they genuinely enjoy, or do these people just go because it's trendy? Personally, I love the idea of a brew pub, and I love retro gaming and beer, so to me, yeah. it's just genius. Also, yeah. what are you guys currently drinking? Thanks, guys, and thanks for the awesome podcast. Cheers. Well, I like being able to go to an arcade where there aren't a bunch of fucking kids running around. Um what i enjoy um because you know the, the one oh i go to them all the damn time i was at one actually this past weekend um <laughs> drunk as a skunk and i was i was having a good old time uh, but no I, I i think it just appeals um and, and i see you know a lot of people around our age at them uh you know because we grew up with arcades and you know and 
being our age we are now, we all usually, to get by, have to drink pretty heavy, too. So, you know, one thing that we have to do to get by, and one thing that we used to like to do, we get we get to do again. Um, but no, it's, it, I, think, I think it makes for a nice environment. Um, I, I think it's something fun you can go to, you know, whether you're, you're you know, fucking with somebody or you're with a group or whatnot. Uh, it's just a good place to unwind. There's plenty to do. Um, if there is a, a Mario Kart there, that arcade Mario Kart, I'd like to get on that and just fucking unmercifully taunt anybody, even if it's a stranger, um, for the duration of it. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's just, it's a great thing, I think. And it's just, it's a mix together of nostalgia and, you know, you have a drink or two and ugh, the food always fucking sucks though. Um, I have yet to, <laughs> I, uh, the ones I go to usually are boxcar. Those are in, in two big cities near me, but I, I've seen a couple of other different ones. Um, and ugh, food, food leaves a lot to be desired. So usually you have dinner and then you go there, right? Uh, what am I drinking right now? Uh, I, nothing. Cause I'm, I'm a responsible adult and I have to get up super fucking early tomorrow, uh, which makes me want to drink, but I'm not going to, um, uh, but for, for the most part, I've been good and I've been on a health kick. Um, that doesn't mean I stop. That just means I, I'm, I'm hard on the cell on the hard seltzers right now. Um, because I, I've kind of in my head have, have fooled myself into thinking that that is a, a healthy way to consume alcohol. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I've been doing. I, I like barcades a lot. I don't need food there. It's fine if there is food, but I'm not going to be able to eat and play an arcade game. You don't want that by the arcade game. So you got to eat in a separate area, then come to the arcade. I, there is one near me called Crabtown USA that while it looks mm -hmm. like uh, a pretty gross place. Uh, once you get inside, the food is not bad, and they do kind of focus on, obviously, crab seafood kind of stuff that is good. Uh, but then they have a whole separate room that's just arcade games. And, yeah, I like... If I'm going to a barcade, I want to have that that kind of classic arcade feel. I want all the arcade games together yeah. so you can hear them all and you get that sound that you only get in arcades. Uh, and they have to have beer of some sort. Uh, as far as, as what... I mean, when I went to meet Jeremy in, uh, in Indianapolis a couple years ago, uh, we went to a barcade there. I don't remember the name of. And that was super fun because we got to play the uh, the Moonwalker game, the arcade version. Uh, right oh, around the time we talked man. about Moonwalker on one. the show uh, for the Sega version. so Or the Genesis version. Uh, but, but as far as what I'm drinking right now, uh, I have... It's summer, so I like to drink summery beers. I'm drinking the Old Pro by Union, which is a local brewery here. Uh, it's a sour beer. Big fan of sours. I, I think, you know, most most barcades do a really good job of, of just doing this thing where you don't actually have to pay for the arcade games. Uh, yeah. I, the uh, two that, that I've that been is, to. That in and of itself, that's a dream in and of itself. Yeah, the two that I've been to, I, I've been to the one here in Indy um, that I went with uh, Jeremy V, and then I went to the one in Cincinnati. Um, both of those were the same way. It's you don't actually have to pay for the arcade games. You just, you know, you pay for your alcohol because, of course, you want to mm -hmm. be drinking alcohol when you're there. But I'm kind of like Jeremy. I, I like it when it's more like just the old, that cramped arcade style from back in the you know mm -hmm. the 80s and 90s. That just mall kind of vibe where it's just a cacophony of sound from everything. You can't even hear what you're playing for the most part. Just mixes <laughs> into everything else. Um, and and just you know, of course, having some decent drinks there. I yeah, for the ones that I went to lean heavy into the mixed drinks. Um, yeah, you know the yeah. the ones that I. The one that I had that was like really good had like a, uh, uh you know the the red, white, and blue ice uh, fucking popsicle in it, whatever you call that thing. Uh, oh, bomb pop! Yeah, it had a bomb pop in in a bunch of alcohol, and it was mm -hmm. it was great. 
Um, mm-hmm. Had a horrible headache for the rest of the night after I left, but it was it was amazing while I when I, while I had it. But yeah, the, I, I think they just do a good job of being what arcades used to be. Uh, you know, there, there's a reason arcades were very popular back then. It was a very social experience, and yeah. you, you know, you're always like just uh, less than a foot away from the person on the next machine. You could see what they're doing. You know, what kind of game they were playing. You just start talk to them, talking to them. It, you know, it's it's not so much great now with the whole COVID thing that was going on, but uh, it's it's just it's a really good way to be to have a social uh, gathering of of people, mm-hmm. and you get them drunk with mixed drinks, and it's even better. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's good for people that's never played it. It's great for people that that love that kind of scene back in the day that doesn't really mm-hmm. see that anywhere else. So uh, that's that's generally what I really like about it. Uh, I just hope we can get past a lot of these restrictions and stuff and, and get COVID handled so that we can we can get back to, to those fun days. Uh, but anyway, thank you, Plain Mech, for writing in. Oh, wait, what am I drinking? What am I drinking right now? Uh, it's this distillery in Bloomington, Indiana. They don't really have a name for their, a, lot of, a lot of their stuff. It's just called vodka. I don't, I don't <laughs> It's just literally what it's called. Maybe you've but heard it's of it. From a, uh, it's a it's a distillery down in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, and they make pretty good drinks. They got like a vodka, uh, rum, and and some a couple other things. But I mostly just drink their vodka. All right, next question. Where am I at? <laughs> Tabasco Joe, that's where I'm at. Tabasco Joe writes in about Animal Crossing. Oh, hey. hi guys. <laughs> as as a kid, my cat would sometimes go nuts trying to catch a video game sprite running across the TV screen. At least twice, he ended up knocking a console off the shelf, but Mm -hmm. thankfully never managed to break anything. I also remember when my neighbor up the street lost his NES Advantage joystick to his family's bulldog. I was wondering if any of you have ever lost a piece of gaming equipment to a pet and how you or your pets reacted if that happened when you were still young and living at home. Thanks for all the awesome episodes, and please keep more coming to Basco Joe. P.S. Sriracha is for chumps. Jesus. Uh, hard line. Take a bite to Basco Joe. I guess I'd expect no less. Um, but I no, I, I this was not even when I was living at home. This was uh, not. Uh, well, by the by the game, you'll tell one too long ago. It was uh, it was uh, Arkham Arkham City, Batman Arkham City, and I had a cat at that time. Who uh, when you you transfer from you can switch over to Catwoman throughout that game. And the way to do that is on certain rooftops, you'll find these, you know, a couple of cats hanging out there. Um, and that's, you'll see the little, the little cue to hit the button and you can switch over. Um, and I had a cat that was absolutely enthralled with that. These two uh, video game cats carrying out this same, like, four-second looped animation. Um, and he, he would, as soon as he heard it, you would hear him running down the steps to come sit in front of the TV and watch it, watch it as long as you leave it on there. Um, I, I left it a good 10 minutes one time. He didn't budge. Um, and then one time he just got really, really damn brave um, and, and just jumped for it right into the TV. Um, thankfully, well, not for him, but for the sake of the TV, he hit head first before he hit claws first. Um, you know, so it didn't damage anything. Uh, probably not on him either. He, he lived a good long time after that. Um, but no, but he, he, he was quite taken aback and I was, I, I was quite amused. 
Um, the same cat, by the way, in another Batman game. I don't know what about these drew him in. There was a game called Gotham City Imposters. And the the title screen, if you left it up, would have like these roaches and different things crawling across it. Um, he also was amazed with that and, and would follow those, but uh, but never maybe because he learned his lesson from before, uh, he he wouldn't he would never quite go for those. Well, I've had cats uh, my entire life, and I've had uh, I've got a dog now that likes to eat everything and chew on everything, and yet I've never had an animal related destruction of a video game or control or anything. However, mm. I do have two children who are very good at ruining all of my things. I've bought now three copies of Mario Kart 8 for the Wii U because they stepped on discs for two of them and snapped them in half. Mm. I don't know how mm. that happened because why would they ever just put a disc on the floor? But they did. And this wasn't when they were like two or three. This was, I mean, the, the last disc I bought was two years ago. So they were uh, seven. And, uh, and yet they stepped on a Mario disc and broke it. Uh, so that's three copies of that. Uh, my Wii U um, tablet controller has the buttons have been chewed off, like the thumbsticks. Oh, no. They're just like these nubs now that used to have thumbsticks on them. And that's done by children. My animals did not do any of those. My animals what? are much oh, better shit. behaved what than my doing? children. My son chewed the soft buttons off the Wii U, <laughs> Wii U remote. So, uh, yes, I've lost many things, but, I, but thankfully not from my pets. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know what to think about that. Like, you just come yeah. down one day, and he's just chewing on that thing. Like, get that oh, out of your mouth. On the tail. I saw him I, chewing on it, and I didn't think it was that bad. And then I came back in the room, and I was like, you chewed the entire thumbstick off. And, <laughs> yeah, it's bad. I will take a picture of it and post that on our, uh, on our social media pages. Was he teething? No. He, again, this was... Fairly recent. I had to buy a replacement Wii U tablet. Jesus. It's bad. It's bad. I'll send that over to you guys while you're talking. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. That just totally made me forget what I was. Oh, Uh, as for me, I guess nothing that really ever, uh, you know, ate my consoles or anything like that. I didn't have too many pets growing up, but uh, I don't know, like uh, the cat that I currently have, he was... uh, for the longest time, obsessed with the yeah, you know, you know Super Meat Boy, right? Of course yeah. you do. Uh, the for the 360, if you beat the game, you got a uh, Super Meat Boy avatar pet, I guess. You know, a, oh yeah. Thing. And for Super Meat Boy, it was this uh, tiny little Super Meat Boy that pops up. He runs around your character, jumps up, you know, and and that's it. And then he disappears, and then he does it over again. My cat, who has never paid attention to anything on the TV was absolutely obsessed with that fucking Super Meat Boy. And he would just sit and watch it to the point where I was, and you could tell he was getting excited. And I had to just turn it off because I didn't want him, like, you know, jumping into my TV and, and, you know, caving it in. Uh, But there was one night I had it on. I just, I didn't actually know I had it on. just had it on, like, the Friends section of the 360 and, and that stuff would play automatically. And for whatever reason... It was it was actually like uh, reflecting into our uh, patio door, and so you could I guess you could see it over there. And so I was just over kind of doing my own thing, minding my own business, and all of a sudden I just hear this really loud thunk, and I turned around and my cat is like laying on the ground, like like just looking as like what's going on. He had like <laughs> went head first into that patio door, 
like for the first time ever trying to like apparently just kill Super Meat Boy. And I, I don't know if that gave him brain damage or what. There's a lot of times during the rest of the years that I've owned him that I'm just like, yeah, yeah, that happened. <laughs> you, you've got brain damage because of Super Meat Boy. Uh, but that's really about the only thing I can think of as far as any, any pants. I do have a friend who has had many things eaten by his several large dogs. And I swear to God, there's just about every other week he gets, he gets on like, a messenger and, and or something and tells me it's like my dog ate this this week. It's like God damn. <laughs> so I know I know it's definitely a problem for people that have have big dogs. But uh, yes, thank you, Tabasco Joe, for writing in. Uh, for the record, I do like sriracha, so I'm I'm sorry to disappoint you. You can you can stop listening to the show if it bothers you that. Anyway, our next question, guys, we're getting into the home home uh, home run, <laughs> home stretch, the home stretch. There we go. Uh, here, we're, we're getting there. Uh, this one comes in from Rando, and he's in a video game rut. Hey guys, I only found this podcast a few months ago, and I love it so much. I can't put into words how much you guys have helped me get through my work days. I don't want to ramble too much, but know that you are doing God's work to us, to us in manual labor. Anyway, have you ever felt like you were in a video game rut? Like you've, had, like you've played too much of the same specific type of game, and you just needed something else? Oh, yeah. I, oh. I, I, I played so many JRPGs during the 16-bit era that I swore off of them for the entire uh, PlayStation era until I, I did play Final Fantasy VII, and that was like the last hurrah for me playing anything like that for quite a long time. Then I went back, and now I, I love those games again. But I, I've definitely gone through phases where I'm like super into one style game, and then I never want to play something like that again. Uh, JRPGs is one, and also uh, MMOs in general. I think I'm just done with them. I can't do it. I um I got into it really bad during the the 360 era um when everything was a fucking first person shooter and I got so and I played them all uh Call of Duty uh, you know uh legendary legendary is 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 the wall against which my my sanity broke uh um, You and legendary I swear to god it's just... me and legendary it, it that game, it did something. I, I, I went into it, you know, I, I, I mean, it wasn't, I didn't have the full deck when I went into that game, but I certainly lost another fucking card or two over the course of playing it. I'll never forget that poor guy trying to boost on there. Um, but... <laughs> you, you randomly bought it for me on Steam one time. <laughs> I, I've never played it. I, I know what it is. I really kind of want to play it, but... It, I, it's, it's, just... it's an awesome, pre- it's it's awesome premise. <laughs> It's just not impressive in any way whatsoever. Um, but it's just like I was playing just, and, and I got so burnt out. I'm just damn shooting things. Um, you know, and, and the logical thing may have been just to, just to get another game, you know, where that wasn't a shooter. But good fucking luck. Um, so I, I kind of just put it aside for a little bit. And, and not, you know, not for too awful long. But that, that was the only stretch I know of where I was like, I, I don't, I don't want to play anything. I, I don't have it in me. Um, but other than that, I mean, I, I've gotten into ruts where I don't know what to play. Um, and I've just kind of been aimless and I've just been, you know, playing a minute or two of this game and that, but that was the only one I know of where I actively for, for a couple weeks, just, just sat it aside. I, I remember that one time you, I think we mentioned it before where you were like incredibly sick and all, like <laughs> just had a really bad fever and you were playing. I that had the fucking, I had. 
I had the swine flu. I had H1N1. Yeah, I thought I, was, and you, I, thought, I thought I was done. And you were playing alone in the dark until like 2 a.m. in the the one on 360 of all games. Yeah. Like you were, oh, I, it was a mess. Goddamn. And I woke up that morning, and apparently there was a trophy I never thought I'd get. We have to, you're in the park, you have to burn all these roots. Um, and the game was so incredibly broken that the, there were some of them that I, I couldn't get to. But somehow, um, fever around 103 over the course of that night that I do not recall, I woke up that morning and, uh, you know, I, I turned on 360, I saw, you know, Alone in the Dark was the last thing I played, and I fucking that achievement was on there um i made it happen that night that might be the only way to play alone in the dark is when you you feel when you feel your life slipping away um just hop on there then i would not recommend it otherwise that should be like a back of the box quote like <laughs> do you have swine flu play alone in the dark here you, here you go uh, I guess uh currently i am going through a video game rut because i haven't actually been playing any video games um, you know, as I mentioned, the last couple of months have just been, uh, not, it hasn't been a great time for playing video games. Actually, the only mm -hmm. thing I've been playing has been Final Fantasy 14. And I, I actually just beat that, uh, like all the story and expansions and things like that, uh, just a, a few days ago prior to this recording. And, uh, now that I beat that, I'm just kind of lost in life because I don't. That's just been what I'm playing uh, for like the last two or three months straight. I, I, my playtime on PS5 is like 230 hours or something. And uh, if you play a game for that long and you're, you're kind of just done with it, you don't want to play it anymore. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys have ever felt this for something you played a lot. You just kind of feel lost. You don't know what to play yeah. next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it's just I'm, I'm kind of sitting here in this dead zone of, of like, man, I don't really want to play anything else but I kind of want to play Final Fantasy XIV, but I, I don't want to play that either because <laughs> I played it so damn much. So I don't know. Maybe by the next podcast, I will figure this out and um, figure out something else besides Final Fantasy XIV. But the odds of that are, are pretty low at this point. Anyway, thank you, Rando, for asking your Rando question. And our next question comes in from Kyle Von Kubik, and he wants to know about your gaming shame. So you cover up, cover up. Yo, hopefully full crew. You're right, it is. We, we actually have a full crew this time. I'm wondering what your gaming shames are. For example, a game you should have completed by now, a video game skill you wish you had, or a game series you have never tried to play, but probably should have by now. To show how brave, to show how brave I am, I'll go first. I've never thrown a fireball in Street Fighter, nor have I pulled off a fatality in Mortal Kombat, but I wish huh? I could do both. I look forward to hearing your answers unless you're cowards and don't want to share, which, if so, would explain the severe lack of outfoxies on this program. Peace, mm. Kyle Von K I mean, I don't have a lot of, uh, a lot of things I'm ashamed of. Like, I mean, I, I came on here and, and boldly stated how much I fucking hate Pac-Man. I, I did that, you know. I just said that about Pac-Man. I don't have a lot to hide. Um, I, I do have... Um, a, a very god i don't know if it's shameful or not i i have a very severe inability to really finish a lot of jrpgs and there are so many i've started and put away and started and put away and i don't know what happens i, I get partway through them and i hit some kind of some kind of mental block with it and i just can't do it anymore you know like i was telling jeremy p i've started lost odyssey 
again. Um, and there are several that I, I've started over and over again, and I get so far, and like I'll hit a little wall, and instead of kind of working through it, I, I'll give up, and and I'll be more, um, you know, more. I'll be fine with starting it over a couple years down the road than you know just toughing it out um, and whatnot. And I I, I don't I'm, I'm not really. Uh, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not going to sit there and brag about it either. That, hey, this is my, my fourth, fifth, sixth time cranking this game up to, to play through it. Um, other than that, I mean, I, I kind of hinted at this. Um, we, we, over on our Discord, um, you know, we were kind of talking about Donkey Kong. Somebody brought up Donkey Kong. Um, and it reminded me that, like, a lot of those older games... I, I mean, I would have been a... I, I, you know, I, I was born in 81, so, I mean, I would have been a, you know, kind of a little kid at that point in time. And I just... I never had um, the attention span to, like, really sit there and play one of those games with the intention of getting a score. As like I was saying on there, on Donkey Kong, once the stages start repeating, which there's, what, three or four of them? Once those started looping, it's like... I. I kind of just quit, you know. <laughs> um, I, I loved Galaga, and I would try my best, but, like, my attention span would eventually run out on that. So, like, I had a lot of uh, lot of hardships playing some of those 80s arcade offerings that were, that were a little bit more um, on the repetitive side. I'm only slightly better now. Uh, and as such, I, I'm, I'm kind of rough at a lot of those. Uh, there aren't any of them I would, I would say I really have really mastered over the years. Uh, I, the good news with doing this podcast now for five plus years is that a lot of the games that I could say, oh yeah, I never really tried those games or got very far in them. Like Silent Hill. I tried Silent Hill 1, but I, other than that, I really hadn't played any of them. We, we've caught up on a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Dino Crisis is one. I, I, I'm glad we played and I went and, and tried the second one a little bit. I mean, there's lots of games I had not tried that I should have that this podcast has fixed. Uh, as far as, as a game that I... I mean, honestly, I've barely scratched playing it, and I don't know why, because it's a classic and one that, that most people swear by. I've never really liked or played much of Mario 64, regular Super Mario 64. Mm. Um, and I have it right here. Mm. I have it on cart right next to me, and I have never played it, uh, the copy that I have now. Um, also, uh, as far as shame goes, um, I am, I've easily bought Final Fantasy VIII four times. Uh, that's shameful. <laughs> Buying it one time is shameful. Buying it four times at full price is absolutely ridiculous. I've bought it um, both. You know, I had it. I had it on PlayStation, and then I bought it uh, on the the PlayStation Network, and I've bought it again on Switch, and I bought it on on Steam. I don't know why I keep buying it. I hate it, but I continue to buy it in different forms, hoping that maybe I'll finally beat it. Because I've also never finished it. I got towards the end. I got to to the end section, and then realized I was playing Final Fantasy VIII and stopped. Uh, I can't really think of too my biggest my absolute biggest shame as far as video gaming went was um up until Breath of the Wild I had never beat a Zelda game. I had never gotten far I just for whatever reason I never got to the end of of any Zelda game. I think the biggest the one I got closest to was uh, the original Zelda on the NES and speaking of that previous question I guess this would kind of fit um I had I was on the last dungeon in that, and my cousin came oh, over no. and er erased my save. So Ooh. I never, never got back into that. Never got far enough to beat it. Uh, and I just, you know, as much as I love Zelda games, I just I never beat them. 
until Breath of the Wild, and I beat that, and I absolutely loved it. So that was previously my biggest, biggest. I mean, still, there's a lot of shame in not beating any of the other Zelda games. Um, I've never beat Resident Evil 4. That that one hurts a lot for as, much, as big of a Resident Evil fan as I am. And I guess the only thing recently that I can think of, I mean, this really doesn't count, but it's something that I did for this podcast or this this channel and then never ever like saw it through. I was filming like an episode of our um, uh, video game retro toy and, and game hunt or whatever. And I was in a flea market and I found some sealed demolition man cards, like trading cards, tops, trading cards. Mm -hmm. And I bought them and I walked up through the register with these two packs, two packs of demolition man trading cards to a, a very attractive cash register girl. And uh, she just kind of looked at me. And I, I don't know if I've felt shame like that since I was like in high school. <laughs> and she just kind of looked at me as like, is this it? It's like, yeah, this is, this is it. <laughs> you know, I can't really sit here and be like, this is for the video game thing that I do on YouTube. Because that would be even more sad than just randomly buying some Demolition Man Tops cards. Uh, just love the but movie. Yeah, that's... Uh, that was that was pretty shameful, and I to this I still haven't filmed that. I'm, I promise I'll get around to that. I, they're still sitting over there in their packs, but yeah, I know that that didn't have much to do with the actual question, but that was something recently that just really was was shameful to me. But uh, yes, thank you, Kyle, uh, for writing in. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, it's uh, thank you for reminding me of that. Anyway, this is uh, we got two more here, guys, and we're oh, almost man. done. This is the longest episode of Retroaniacs that's ever. I uh, is we got a hella email coming to this time, and this one is from Wanda from over at Bojangles, and she wants to know about fast food. Fast food fusion. If you could combine two fast food restaurants, which would they be, and what would their signature item be? I'm talking about combining them so that every menu item must contain elements from both places and no Wendy's McDonald's combo with a burger using the square beef patties with the Big Mac sauce. I would have to go with, um, if since this is from Wendy, from or what, what was it, Wanda from Bojangles? Wanda. Uh, if I could get a good New York-style pizza but covered with popcorn chicken, I'm in. Oh, my God. Yep. A pizza Whoa, place and Bojangles okay. together, I would do it every time. Every time. You want to throw some of those onion no. rings and stuff on there, too? I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> my, I mean, mine's pretty simple. Uh, it, it's nothing extravagant. Um, I, I would take, um, you know, the, the reigning king, that the, the Popeye's fucking chicken sandwich. Um, and I would, I, I would put the cheese on it, and I would slather that thing. In the Taco Bell Spicy Ranch. I, I think I'd put that Spicy Ranch on most things. Um, but I, I was just sitting here thinking about it. Wendy's, years ago, had a, uh, a, chicken, a sandwich called the Wild Mountain Chicken Sandwich. I, and it had a sauce on it. Um, that, that A lot like that Spicy Ranch. And I fucking love that thing. I loved it so much um, that I, and I don't do this often, um, I went there for lunch and dinner in one day. And like I, I even changed clothes when I went there for dinner in case the same people were working there. Um, 
I don't know. I change like fucking shirts. They only see you from like the chest up, right? I, I should have wore like sunglasses and a hat or something. Um, but no, I picked that damn thing up twice. And I was sitting here thinking, and I was like, I, I think if you combine those two, it'd be the closest I'd get to getting my wild mountain chicken sandwich back. So I, I, I think that would definitely be, I mean, fuck, use that thing. Give me a goddamn pizza up pizza, but use that in place of the tomato sauce. You could do a lot of things. But that little bit of sauce. But it would probably be something like that for me. It would just be, you know, taking a, a great sauce from one place and, and putting it on something else. Because, um, God, I, I just don't have the stomach on me that I used to. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm giving up. Maybe I'm shutting down. I, that's totally what I would do. I would take the the only fast food restaurant that's been able to actually do Nashville hot chicken decently, which is KFC. I know everybody's yeah. just going to fall over dead when I say that, but... I, I genuinely thought that KFC Nashville hot chicken was pretty fucking good. Take that yeah. sauce, whatever they did, and put it on the quality of something like a Chick-fil-A sandwich, oh, uh, their, their breaded chicken sandwich, or even fucking yeah. Popeye's. I would eat that all day long. Uh, that is just one of those things. I, I love Nashville hot chicken, but for some reason, everywhere you get it just wants to do it like it's uh, General Joe's chicken or something. Like, it's super sweet. There's mm. almost no spice to it, but uh, KFC, they, they had a decently spicy Nashville hot chicken, and uh, just something like that on a Chick-fil-A sandwich would be so good. Um, but just speaking of combinations, I, do you guys remember like when they would like combine? I, we had a Taco Bell Pizza Hut here. Yeah. Like, did you guys, like, did that exist, or am I just imagining that? No, we, we had, had a Taco Bell Pizza um, We had... Um... KFC, uh, KFC and Long John's. Yep. Yep. I've never seen the KFC and Long John's. Yeah. We had KFC, Long John's, and Taco Bell and Pizza Hut I've seen um, put together before. Those are the only two combinations I've seen. There, there's I, a Taco they, Bell KFC near us, too. Near me. Oh, God. Yeah. I, I loved that. I loved my fucking Taco Bell Pizza Hut. That was the yeah. best shit. Like, I, a long time ago, like back when it was around here, like I'd get off work around like 11, 12 o'clock and just go over there and get my uh, personal supreme pizza with a yeah. you know couple of hard tacos and it was perfect. <laughs> uh, there's nothing wrong with with that and it was it was the two perfect things combined. And yeah. I just don't know why they that stopped because that that would for the things to line up in this world that never worked. That was the one thing that actually did work for me. Mm -hmm. I can't really see the KFC Long John scene. I if I'm going for for chicken, well, I guess you know the whole chicken and fish thing, but yeah, I, I just I don't know. Usually, if I want Long John Silvers, there's a there's a certain kind of torture that I want to induce on myself <laughs> that that doesn't involve KFC. I got another uh, one. I thought of another one. What about right. like a Chipotle? But you get the big burrito. You have it. It's there. There because I love the way their burritos like they're soft and they kind of wrap really well. But what if you opened it up and it was just entirely Arby's beef and cheddar? Wouldn't that be incredible? <laughs> you you could do that at Arby's right now. Like you could totally do that. Um, I, I've done something pretty close to that before. You know, it's not a tortilla, but you can get their wrap and just be like, hey, put the beef and cheddar, no bread, in the wrap. And uh, they will do their best to do that. And it's, uh, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> oh, that's kind of making me sick now. <laughs> also, just for an update, Jeremy sent that picture over of his that is not up with you game. Oh, it's, it's, it's dire. It's, it's, it's not good. It's, it's really gnarly. 
It's just one of those things, just kind of sitting here staring. Oh, at I, it. I tried to play with oh. it after it happened. I was like, I, I still try to use it, and that's why I bought another pad. <laughs> no, I was like, this feels you can't gross. Touch that. Oh yeah, no, it felt it felt awful. Oh god, it looks like somebody just stuck like a, a piece of like, gum that they've been chewing on for like two days yeah. on that thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, this it is it, like guys. Fucking, it, it looks like one of the fucking heads off one of the clickers from The Last of Us. Is, is what I think. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Oh god, that's the one you just want to put down quick because you know they're gonna yeah. be a bastard if you don't. Yeah, just headshot, get it down real quick. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this is it. This is the last question. We've made it. It's been uh, almost an hour and a half in the making, uh, but we're here. And this is from Late to Gaming, and he wants to know about classic, in quotes, versions of other technology. Hey, guys, enjoying the show as always. With the trend of classic editions of retro consoles mostly over, are there any other areas outside of gaming where you'd like to see it happen? Would you like to pick... (laughs) What would you pick for your non-gaming classic version of something? The Betamax classic, the 8-track classic. Which media format has the most potential? You know, I, I would do a, uh, like, if it looked like an old cassette player and had grainy cassette versions of, like, horror movies, so it would be like you went and got a, a movie at the oh, local oh, horror place, I, I would buy it. Scary VHS. Guaranteed. Yeah. And then in all the art you get to eat, like the to pick the movie, you get to look at the box and like flip it around so you can see the with the description of the movie on the back of the box, and then when it plays, it has the previews for other movies. I would buy that right now. I would buy it today. I, I think you've. I think you're on to something. Uh, that would be. Yeah, it would be tremendous because because horror films are one, and I keep a VH. I, I keep a VCR. Um, you know, I I don't have it like hooked up all the time, things like that, and I've got a pretty good collection. Of, of movies on it, but the, you know the ones that I, I've, I've, you know, kept and held onto were a lot of those '80s, '90s horror films because there's just something about that. Like it, it's one of the few, it's one of the few things where like a little bit of grain, some scan lines here and there, like a flicker here and there oh, in the yeah. picture. I, it, it's the only instance I know of where it it really adds to it. Um, so yeah, I, God. Uh, you you knocked it out of the park with that one. I, I would have to, it would have to be an agreement in full, but it, it, only if it was like an all horror version of it, right? I mean, you don't want to watch like an effects heavy thing, like oh, I want Jurassic Park and it's fucking flickering around and and things like that. Um, you know, it, it's something about those those old films. Um, I, my prize tape, and the more <laughs> the best part about it is the more you watch it, the worse it gets. Um, a copy of that first Hellraiser. And it got to the point to where I knew when everything that was going to happen on there, as far as when the tape was going to semi-fuck up, was going to happen. I would get to where I was even looking forward to that. Uh, I, there's just something charming about it. Something something appealing, um, you know, about those those old tapes. Uh, and especially if you got it when it was new and you remember the thing running smooth. And you know, and it's just because it's 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 films you loved watching. Uh, you have a lot of memories watching them, um, and and you kind of have a representation of just how much you've watched them um, over the years. So definitely, yeah, like a fucking old VHS classic. Even the beta, I love the damn beta. When, when my folks got a VCR, I was I got a hand me down Betamax, um, and I only had um, I had the Topic Avenger. And I had garbage pail kids. Oof. Um, what? I, hey. Huh? 
Really? You had the wow. Well, I mean, it, it, they weren't official. Um, you know, they would do the old thing whenever my parents would rent something. I would get really excited. I run in limb room with my Betamax, stick it on top of the VCR, hook it up, play it on the VCR, and record it onto the Betamax. Um, and, and hopefully, it wasn't fucking so long that the Betamax tape would run out. Um, no, so I, I eventually got, you know, I got a little collection together, and I, I, I think it was just a handful of films. No one in their right mind would sit there and watch. I, we're talking gar- eventually like Garbage Pail Kids. Um, I had Graffiti Bridge on there, which I'd watch that right now. I probably will. Um, Suburban Commando. I, it was it was veritable who's who of films that I put together on and curated. I think I fucking hate when people use that word. Um, curated on the Betamax over the years from, from bootlegging <laughs> and whatnot. I, I do have a lot of nostalgia for for that little thing there. My dad did have a, a Betamax player with with several videos for, it, but I was I was kind of a little bit too young to even understand what was going on with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even when mm-hmm. we switched over to VHS, I was like, "What's the difference?" But uh, you know, format wars and all that stuff. But uh, yeah. I, I, the only thing I can think of that I would really enjoy, which I, I always wanted a laserdisc player. Uh, growing up, I still do. Oh my I, god! If you could give me a laser disc player in the form the, uh, the format of a mini disc player, if anybody remembers the old Sony mini disc mini disc yeah. players, give me that, and it still has to be analog because laser discs oh, weren't shit. they well they weren't laser discs weren't originally digital. They're not digital for yeah. they're not a digital format. Yeah. That's why you can fast forward and rewind them like it's a VHS tape. Uh, so yeah. if you can still give me that in that that analog format in the format of a mini disc fucking player, yeah, the, oh god, I would buy the shit out of every one I, of those. I'm completely fascinated with the laser disc. My father was always an early adopter of technology. He wouldn't touch the fucking laser disc. Um, he said it wasn't going to happen. And I mean, fucking old Nostradamus Holiday came yeah. through on that one. Um, but I remember my, my favorite Laserdisc memory was we had, um, God, what would grade, this would have been an eighth grade history teacher, and he had his, he brought his own personal Laserdisc that he kept in a locked closet in the room, and he wheeled it out, and he wouldn't let anybody touch it, <laughs> and he, he had several, like, educational Laserdiscs, and I remember he was, was telling us about how he could go at any moment to an exact scene on there. And he had, I guess, the the guide, or like it looked like a fucking video game instruction booklet, and a big one, too, um, that, that had, like, each frame yeah. and where you'd go if you wanted to see this. And he would let it drop, and it was like Santa's fucking list. I swear it hit the ground. Um, yeah, and it was just, it, it was something. And it, that was the only time i had seen a laser disc working in person and i thought that it was just the i thought it was the neatest thing um you know years later i i, I mean i could see why um it, it it did not do well i, I can see why one did not show up in the household but it that's one of those little pieces of technology um that's 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 kind of fascinating to me and if i was in the right mood one day and i saw one for the right price with maybe a little library with it i i you know it might come home i don't know but the laser disc is a weird little bit 
I, I'm every time I go out occasionally into some of these used stores like Goodwills or whatever. Every once yeah. in a while, they will have a stack of laser discs, and of course, no player. But they will have, and every time I see them, I'm just like, oh my god, I just want to buy these because you yeah. know how I was talking about that import Symphony of the Night. They would kind of put that much effort in a lot of these uh, laser disc packages. You know, they they're the size of records. But, you know, they would have all of these full pullouts. Like, it would just be this awesome art. Uh, it, it was just an amazing thing, like an amazing package that you were getting. It felt like it was something that people put a lot of time into for something that you really enjoyed. Like, I always wanted, like, the Jurassic Park laser disc. I wanted the, the yeah. Akira laser disc. Like, just so much of that stuff that they, there's just so much extra stuff in there that it feels like you're getting a complete package along with something that you still, to this day, cannot get anything like it. Even if you get the Blu-ray or DVD of those those movies, there's something about that Laserdisc version. It probably because it's analog. That is not like the any any of the digital versions of it. Mm. So, mm. yeah, someday I'm just gonna buy a Laserdisc player. It's it's just gonna happen. <laughs> it's I uh, I don't think I'm ever just gonna wander into one like everyone on YouTube does in a store. But um, at this point, I think there I'm I'm coming across so many Laserdisc. Uh, the, the the movies and stuff like that in stores that it, it it's kind of making sense just to buy one at this point. Uh, but was that the question? I think that we answer the question. We did answer the question. Okay. All right. I think we've done it. We have done it. We have made it through all five hundred and seventy nine questions for this episode. Uh, it is it has been quite the marathon. But you know been. what? It's good to be back. It's it's nice <laughs> to be back after a couple of months and just go through nonstop questions from all you you lovely listeners. And if you have a question that you'd like us to answer, like we just spent the last hour and a half doing, then go ahead to retrovania.net. Very bottom, there's a question form. Fill it out, send it to us, and we will answer it on probably our next show, which should be out in two weeks. It's another patron pick. Again, our Patreon is uh, listed in the description of the show and on retrovania.net, and we will see you then. <laughs>